What's good, and welcome to episode 25 of the Helmets, Hoops, and Homies podcast. I'm Matthew Garcia, here with my co-host and homie, the Hoops Guru, Patrick Moore. What's good, P. Moore? Yo, homie, how's it going today? Good, my guy. How are you? Good. Enjoying a nice uh, nice Denver Saturday here. We're recording on a Saturday. We've kind of gotten on this this Saturday schedule uh, because just of, you know, timing of basketball games and hoop stuff. So uh, it's good to uh, get to record with you again and uh, give some some audio bliss to the listeners. <laughs> yeah, man, it's always a good time and looking forward to it. Uh, got a very special episode today. Oh yeah, and we'll get yeah. into that. But first, let's uh, let's open it up how we always do. I'll let you kick it off, homie. What are you uh, What are you drinking today? Yeah, so the the listeners are in for a little bit of a wild card uh, <laughs> this episode. I am not drinking a brew dog. Uh, I've got instead uh, a White Claw Surge, which I didn't realize this when I bought it, but it's basically so like White Claw, the the hard seltzer, you know, alcoholic seltzer water um you know i love a good seltzer i'm a i'm an east coast boy um but this one has uh more alcohol in it than the regular than the regular white claws it's eight percent instead of five percent i didn't even realize that when i right up your alley homie you know know what you're doing subconsciously you know what you're doing yeah yeah i probably did um so this one this is a variety pack with a couple of different flavors i'm about to drink a cranberry one here um, I'm actually a pretty big cranberry fan. I like cranberry stuff. So uh, let's. Uh, what do you, What do you got though? What do you yeah. uh, pop? Cranberries. Cranberries are good. It sounds good, man. Uh, I got me a, a nice uh, throwback Golden State Mandarin Orange. I'm either rocking, Ooh, rocking the orange nice. today to celebrate. Yeah. A little celebratory. Um, yeah. Yeah. I like so, that. Uh, yeah. So let's go ahead and uh, talk about uh, what we got for the episode. We're going to be doing our. How much hoops and homies 2022 NBA mock draft special? Uh, hopefully, this is the first of many, or it's an annual event. Hopefully, so we're gonna do that. Also, we're gonna talk some uh, some hoops, some NBA finals before that. Uh, but let's kick it off how we always do. Let's start with our famous number 25, since we're oh. in episode 25. I didn't pop mine off, homie. Oh, we didn't even pop it off. What are we doing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're, yeah. Getting, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, we're too excited. Yeah, so let's, let's get it popping. I appreciate you stopping me. Yep. All, All right. right. So there you go. Now See? it's official. <laughs> that's why that's why you're the hoops guru. You know what's going on here. So, yeah. So uh let's start off with our famous uh 25s. We are in episode 25. So if we're talking about the numbers, we're gonna start with the NFL like we always do. So some of the famous uh 25s from before. We have uh LaShawn McCoy, Eric Davis. Richard Sherman was rocking 25 when he was with Seattle and even with the Niners. And then we also have a couple Hall of Famers here, Norm Von Brocklin and Fred Malitnikoff. Mm. So two two legends there. And if we're going into the current players that were 25, we got a lot of of running backs here and some DBs. So we got uh, Giovanni Bernard. Who has uh, I know you I know you love the mustache that he rocks now. That's definitely a P more special there. Uh, Melvin Gordon, mm. uh, Xavier Howard, uh, great DB for Miami. Elijah Mitchell, who I'm a big Elijah Mitchell guy from the Niners. Uh, Chris Harris Jr. Uh, and it's also uh, apparently when I was looking this up on uh, on Football Reference, Pro Football Reference, this is a uh, today's Chris Harris Jr.'s birthday. So happy birthday, Chris Harris Jr. Um, happy happens, birthday! Yeah, it's funny that it added up like that. But yeah, and then. Um, Another running back who I'm really high on as well, uh, James Robinson from Jacksonville. 
So uh, some good names there in the NFL. Let's let's go ahead and uh, pass it on over to the NBA. So some uh, some previous number twenty fives NBA We've got some interesting names here. We got uh, Nick Anderson, Bill Cartwright when he was with your Knicks, Rock twenty five, uh, Eric Dampier, NBA vet, or as I like to call him, the dump truck, <laughs> Eric Dampier, uh, Gail Goodrich, Al Jefferson, Gus Johnson, Casey Jones, Steve Kerr. Uh, NBA champion Steve Kerr again, Jerome Kersey, Mark Price, and our guy Glenn Doc Rivers also wore 25. Uh, Chet Walker, Mo Williams, David Wingate are some other names. Now going into the players who wore 25 this past season or the current season, however you want to look at it, we have uh, Reggie Bullock, Austin Rivers. So apparently 25 is a family number for the oh, Rivers family. There you go. Father, son. Yeah. Uh, Jakob Pertl, Trey Murphy III, Chris Boucher, P.J. Washington, and then I think um, uh, the, I guess you could say, the best player of the 20, the current 25s to me would be Mikel Bridges, also worth 25. So some good names there. So what sticks out to you, homie? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, this one's maybe a little less star-studded um, than some other numbers, especially on the hoop side. Um, but, yeah, on the pigskin side, um, LaShawn McCoy, he was like a thorn in the Giants' side for years when he was on the Eagles. Um, so, you know, him. Richard Sherman, who himself is a great player in his prime. Um, you know, I don't know if he's like a hall of famer level guy, but he is, he was a great player. That's probably open to debate. Um, Belitnikov, homie, who, what was, what did he play? I know there's a big award named after him either in college, uh, probably in college football, I think. Yeah. He's a receiver. So the Belitnikov mm-hmm. award to the nation's mm-hmm. best uh, receiver. So. Yeah. So he's obviously a legend, you know? Um, but yeah, on the hoop side, some really good shooters and, and Kerr and Mark Price, um, you know, Gail Goodrich, you always hear about as being a legend of kind of the old days. Um, I love Mikhail Bridges. You know that, uh, he, um, was my, you know, defensive player of the year pick. Um, you know, maybe didn't feel as great about that when he was getting torched by Luca in the second round, but, uh, you know, still, I still think he's a great player and any team would be thrilled to have him. So yeah, some, some good guys in there. Not, not as many like highlight, you know, all-time legend guys, but definitely some solid players on both sides. Yeah, for sure. Belitnikov was uh, uh, one of the number one receivers on that John Madden uh, Raiders team that won mm-hmm. the Super Bowl. So, yeah, some really some good names there for sure. Uh, Norm Van Brocklin's a name that you hear a lot if you're a, like a pigskin historian. And uh, some good running backs. I think especially Xavier Howard, like I said, is a very good DB. Yeah, he, he, just got, he just got paid, so good for him, happy for him as well. And uh, Elijah Mitchell, James Robinson are two names, I think, are younger guys. Mitch, uh, Robinson's going into his third year, undrafted running back, and then Mitchell was a six-round pick. I want to say he's also going into his third year. Could be wrong on that off the top of my head. But uh, two uh, very high upside running backs, I think. I think they're both going to be number one for their teams. And uh, for the ups as well, some uh, some uh, interesting names, like I said, uh, Eric Dampier, I used to always call him the dump truck when I was a kid because he was just like a big, like huge force slamming the ball. You know, like those that two hand like dunk, ferocious dunk. I like that. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of fun players there. Obviously, we got our guy Glenn Rivers there, and um, yeah, some some good names. Mikel Bridges, like you said, had a rough playoffs, but great defender. 
and PJ Washington from Charlotte. So another really solid um, front court player that we like. So, yeah. so like you said, not as not as star studded necessarily, especially on the hoop side, but some interesting names as, as always, which is why I love that we do this. Yeah, for sure. Um, the the number twenty five, yeah, is. I just feel like after 23 and 24, we had some, you know, major, major guys. 25 is a, 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 like a kind of an interesting in-between number, though. Um, but, yeah, looking forward to see who we got uh, next week, too, with, with 26, as I can think of a couple off the top of my head. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That, that's a good, solid group this this uh, this episode. Yeah, I'm really interested when we start getting into, like, the really obscure numbers for hoops. For pigskin, like, almost every number because there's so many positions. But yeah, for hoops, yeah. when we're getting into, like, uh, I don't know, 67 and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. really fun. So I'm looking forward to the really obscure yeah. numbers. We might need to go into the G League for some of those. Yeah, or the AB, <laughs> like the ABA or something. Yeah, the ABA. <laughs> yeah, so that'll be fun. Nice. But, yeah, so that's our that's – our, uh, our famous number 25 section, and I'm going to uh, pass the ball to the Hoops Guru to get started on our next one. All right, let's get into it. Let's shoot some hoops. Um, obviously, we've got a big episode in terms of hoops. Two two really, you know, big, monumental kind of, you know, items to talk about. Um, Matt up top mentioned the, uh, the mock draft. We'll get to that in a bit, but we need to talk a bit about – the NBA finals. Um, you know, we checked in last episode with Deuce. We were, you know, four, four games, five games, maybe into this series. Um, it was, you know, so we weren't, we weren't done yet, but the uh, finals have officially ended and the 2022 uh, NBA champions again are the golden state warriors uh, winning their first finals since 2018. Um, that is four eight years um that six finals appearances in eight years they had the two two down years where they didn't even make the playoffs obviously um but you know are back as as champions as the you know presumptive team to beat in the nba um and even bigger news maybe than the warriors themselves winning um you know the nba finals is steph curry winning his first finals mvp um, it was, in, it was un, indisputable. He won it unanimously. So everyone voted for him. It wasn't even in question, um, had an absolutely stellar series. Um, uh, you know, just, just really, really was, was undoubtedly the best player out there. Um, so yeah, the, the, there are a lot of storylines to kind of touch upon, um, in this, in this, with this finals, but the first one I kind of want to talk about homie is I want your thoughts about Steph winning finals MVP. And if you think this changes his legacy, what this means for you, um, you know, what, what, what you think kind of the biggest story surrounding that is. So what do, what do you think, homie? Yeah. So uh, just right off the top, um, congratulations to the Golden State for winning the championship. Uh, it was a great season for them. Obviously one that neither one of us saw coming. So I'm really happy for that. Sometimes those are some of the best to watch. You know what I mean? When you, a team that you didn't really expect. I mean, we all knew they were good, but we're like, you know, with the injuries in the last couple of years, they haven't made the playoffs necessarily, even though to me the plan is the playoffs, but whatever. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, so so congratulations to them, to the coaching staff players. But for me, I think, um, like I said, I was ecstatic that, that Stevie was able to win this. I think it was well-deserved. He was 
by far the best player in the series, and it wasn't even close, and nobody even came close to that. And so to sum it up, homie, it's basically the what you said when we were watching the game, and me and Deuce were watching the game. You you summed it up perfectly to me. You said this is the the type of finals performance from Stevie that we've been hoping for since 2015. You know what I mean? This is what we wanted to see. Like we this is the Steph Curry that we thought we were gonna see from jump, especially, you know, because it was those first couple of times he made the finals was his MVP years when he went back to back. One of them unanimous. So I think that's the the best way to sum it up. This is what we thought we were gonna get from him from jump. And I don't think he's been bad in the finals. I think he's been he's been good, but not as good as he was in the regular season, which is understandable. But uh the only real blemish for me was the 2016 finals. I think he really underperformed in those last three games. I think I think you have uh you gotta win one out of three and two of them are at home. With that advantage, you gotta win that. So I mean that that really um left a bad taste in my mouth in terms of his legacy. But I think this here, this championship here, I feel like it's a wash now for me with that. And the finals MVP puts it over the top. So I mean, that's the only real blemish to me that he had. I didn't I don't really get into the whole, you know, the, the Stevie hate. I don't really get it, to be real with you. But uh that's that for me, this kind of you know supersedes that twenty sixteen collapse that they had. So I'm happy for him for that. And um I'm happy that he was able to to you know get it done and uh show that you know even at 34 he's still one of the best players in the league and i do think um he's definitely in the top 10 of all time conversation and i think he's definitely in in uh at least top two to me top two point guards of all time i think the only guy for me i mean i don't know about the top 10 i'd have to really think about it. i didn't sit down and i'll say okay oh here's this guy this guy this guy but in terms of point guards, for me, off the top of my head, the only guy who I can say you could put over him would be Irvin Johnson, Magic, just because he's got five titles, you know what I mean? And also just he was he lived in the finals when he was with the Lakers, the Celtics rivalry, or the Celtics, the Leprechauns, whatever you want to call them. Um, you know, so I mean, except for Magic, I think uh, to me, you got to put Stevie as the second best point guard of all time. Uh, you know, four titles, back-to-back MVPs, uh, unanimous Finals MVP, and it wasn't even close. I think he could have scored zero points to me in this game, and he still would have been the Finals MVP. There's just no doubt to me he was just that good. But yeah, that's where I have him. That's where his legacy stands for me. And I mean, to be real, it could happen to you know. Uh, I, I love uh, one of the things I really love about Stevie is how humble he is. I tend to gravitate towards those type of players. Where um and, and just uh, I love players that really put in the work and the time and you can tell if you looked at where he came into the league and how where he is now it's it's almost night and day in terms of uh, his body his his development and his defense in this series was very good for you think about that was one of his one of the things where they used to kind of go after him and attack him and they tried that especially in game six and it just didn't really work you know what I mean so I mean his defense he's gotten much better on that too and I mean when you got a guy who's lights out on offense and who's a, a become to me a good defender now to me he, the last couple of years he's been solid i think he's I, I can say he's a good defender now which i mean what else can you ask for right when you got your team leader like that so that's where i stand with them homie but let me get your thoughts what are your thoughts on uh what this means for stevie showstoppers i like to call him for his legacy and also what does it mean for golden state maybe going forward 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I did want to just shout out his stats for this series because I think, you know, we talked about how good he played, and it's very clearly borne out in his statistics. So he scored 31.2 points per game, six rebounds a game, five assists, two steals a game. On his shooting splits were 48% overall, uh, forty about 43, 40, 0.437, so almost 44% from three um, and about 85 to 86% from free throw. So, you know, incredible shooting splits, almost, you know, a couple shots here and there from a 50, 40, 90. Um, And just, yeah, on a high volume of really tough shots. I mean, he's not, Steph Curry doesn't get open shots. I mean, it just doesn't really happen that way. Um, You know, he's, a lot of those are like crafty finishes around the rim floaters, but also obviously like, you know, the threes with, you know, three guys within a couple feet of him that he makes. So um, it was just an impressive all around performance. You pointed out the defense, Um, two steals a game, which is, I mean, that's fantastic. If you're getting two steals from Steph, when you also have Draymond and, you know, Clay, who towards the end of the series started to figure it out defensively, at least. Um, and Wiggins, who was who was a good defender. I mean, you know, he he did not look like he was the weak link in any of their lineups at any point. That was either Jordan Poole and, you know, as, as much of a clay guy as I am earlier in the series, he just couldn't keep Jalen Brown in front of him really at all. So, um, you know, he was he was definitely not a liability, even one of the one of the top liabilities for uh, for Golden State defensively. And that was really the difference in the series. I mean, his offense and the fact that their defense played as good as Boston's did, but Golden State had Steph and Boston didn't. And that was the difference in this series, I think, for the most part. Um, in terms of his legacy, yeah, I was thinking about this too. Um, the way I was thinking about it is like, you know, Steph doesn't play the same way a lot of other point guards have played, but you know, you say the same thing about magic. He didn't, he didn't, he was six, (laughs) eight, you know, no one had ever seen a point guard like him before. Um, So, you know, when I think about it, I'm like, okay, who are the best players who played point guard? You know, who's they had, when you see their name in the box score, it's a PG, you know, for their position. Um, And yeah, I think the only guy you really could put above him after this would be magic. I have, I, 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 the only ones who, you know, the one, the guy, the guys who are competing there for that spot to me would be, you know, um, the big O, Oscar Robertson. Um, but he doesn't have the accolades that Steph did. He was a great player, um, you know, one of the best of the 60s easily and, and did get a title. Um, you know, he, he, he doesn't have the same types of accolades as Steph does. Um, Isaiah Thomas, same thing, you know. There's no doubt in my mind Steph Curry is better than Isaiah Thomas is um, for Detroit. He was he was a good one. Um, you know, I think it's Steve Nash, you know, or John Stockton as well. And those guys just they just never could get it done in the playoffs. You know, they never got got titles, um, don't have the same type of, you know, that, you know, Nash was a two time MVP. But, um, yeah, just doesn't have have the same accolade. So Stevie changed the game, um, you know, and now he has every single, you know, trophy to show for it. He's got the two MVP awards. He's got the finals MVP. He's got the four titles. He's got an all-star game MVP. He's got scoring titles. Um, He's broken all-time records for three-point shooting in almost every category. Um, He is definitely in the top 10 
discussion. He's a lock for top 15 for me easily. I mean, he's not falling outside the top 15. And I think he joins, you know, the, the, the generation we'll see is like, for the last 10 to 15 years, the players who are really going to go down as like the, the, the defining players of the generation so far to me are LeBron, KD, and Steph. Giannis kind of straddles too because he's a little young. He's not really their generation. He's still only like 27 or something. So he's he's obviously the dominant guy of what I consider this generation. Um, but those, you know, I think he, he stands out with those other players and – um, you know, you can have arguments about which of those guys are the most important players of the modern NBA, I think. So, yeah, definitely, definitely lofty, lofty discussions about Steph Curry. Um, he's he's kind of putting his stamp on a, a all time legendary career with this with this win, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you, homie. I feel you. Um, yeah, I would say guys like you Noyanis. Know, the process, Joel Embiid, uh, Nikola Jokic, Nick the Pick, as we like to call him. That's that's the, that's this current generation. I would say those are the guys that kind yeah. of define it for me right now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I agree with you. I think, uh, I mean, obviously the basketball Baron is a given. You know, the Baron James. That's no doubt. He's uh, easily one of the greatest talents I think we've ever seen in basketball history, and that's not even debatable. Regardless of if you think he's the goat, we're not going to get into that conversation. But uh, <laughs> he's easily one of the most talented players I think I've ever seen in my life. Um, so I always give him respect just because, you know, uh, um, Chicago guy, Jordan, my favorite player of all time. I still can see talent and be objective about that. Yeah. Um, he's phenomenal. And obviously I think, I think you got to put, uh, the slim reaper, Kevin Durant, I think is probably one of the most talented players I've ever seen in my life on offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's a good defender too. I think he's a little slept on as a defender, especially when he was in his prime. I think he's still in his prime, but when he was in his like mid to late 20s. I think he was a very good defender. They slept on that. But I think uh, offensively, I mean, to see a guy who's seven feet tall, seven foot six, I want to say wingspan he's got, and he can just rise up and shoot the three the way he does is absolutely amazing. And Stevie too. I think I think these three guys, they all have something that's just like, you're almost, it's almost jaw dropping to see what they can do. And Stevie's obviously the way he can shoot from downtown. And also, I think another thing too, that it's talked about a lot, but we tend to really focus on his three-point shot, which is understandable. He's, a, uh, at least in terms of the all-time record, he's the greatest three-point shooter of all time. And a lot of people say he's the greatest shooter of all time. Um, uh, I'm going to say I have him tied with Larry Legend. I think Larry Bird is uh, is right there, too. I think he was just – the fact that he would just, like, say, okay, I'm going to shoot an 18-footer and I'm going to make it. He would just tell the defenders that, and they still couldn't stop him. is amazing to me. So uh, that's why I got Larry Legend there, too, Larry Bird. But uh, they're – to me, either it's you know, it's it's one A one B or it's a tie. I can't pick. So, um, it's also the way he moves off the ball, and his conditioning, and the way he's just able to just go nonstop. You know what I mean? It's almost like he never gets tired. Is is phenomenal, and really speaks to his workout because that's hard to do. I mean, he's just constantly moving. There's never a time when he just sits in the corner and waits because he can't. You know what I mean? He knows defense is going to be drawn to him. Maybe if he draws a double team, then someone's going to be open. So I think uh, those three guys that like you mentioned, I think it's I absolutely agree. Three probably the most talented guys that we've ever seen and we might ever see in that generation. And it's uh, it's good. It was a good a good generation for hoops, and it's still going. I mean, all those guys are still going strong. They're all still very good to great. So uh, it's good to see. But yeah, I agree with you, homie. I think it's a a great generation. I think it's a 
I, I really do think that uh, that Stevie changed the game for sure. He definitely revolutionized the value of the three point shot a lot, along with the uh, you know the analytics guys, the statisticians were going, hey, three is more than two. We should probably do that. You know what I mean? But I think he definitely set the precedent for the current NBA, whether you like it or you don't. We're not going to get into that either, but uh, I think he definitely did that. So um, I'm really happy for him, happy for uh, what he was able to accomplish. And uh, should we go ahead and talk about uh, just the teams in general? Where do we see them going from here a little bit? Yeah, I did want to. And Boston as well. Yeah, I did want to get your sense of, you know, what did this playoffs mean or change for you in terms of your expectations for next season? Um, You know, I think both of us, neither the teams we thought going into the regular season and even going into the playoffs made it to the finals for, you know, there's lots of reasons. There's always, you know, things that, you know, certain injuries and, you know, luck goes into every every finals run i don't care who it is um but what do you think about the celtics um you know going into next year and what do you think about the the golden state warriors um do you think they can compete for another title um is you know is is their competition going to be tougher next year maybe easier in some ways um yeah what do do you what do you think and why don't you why don't you give your thoughts first yeah, so uh, I'll start with Golden State. Uh, so with Golden State, I think that uh, I saw as soon as they won that they put up like the teams, the, the top five teams with a chance to win the title, and they were number one in odds at least, which uh, I almost always disagree with Las Vegas odds. They almost are almost always way off. They had the Nets winning the title going into the playoffs, which was hilarious. They too. probably still have them number two. Yeah, like no yeah, shade yeah. to the Nets, but I'm like the Nets were a play-in team. Like, I don't understand how they could be the second best odds to win the title. I'm sorry. I know they got no swept. shade. This is this is zero shade at the Slim Reaper. I think he's phenomenal, but there's just no way. You know what I mean? They you could have him up there, but to have the second was hilarious to me. So yeah, so the odds don't mean nothing to me, but um I can see it. I think in the West, we still gotta wait. I gotta wait until I see what moves are made, who's drafted, and how how these rosters are constructed in the West and see who's coming back. Because, I mean, you got Denver's going to hopefully be full strength next year. You got the Clips. You know, you got uh, Kawhi Leonard's going to be coming back. And, you know, that's probably the two, the best wing combo in, in hoops is Kawhi and, you know, playoff P. So, I mean, you got that going on. I mean, we'll see what happens with Phoenix. I think Memphis is going to be even better than they were this year. I mean, with that, that year of uh, an extra, another year of playoff experience for them. Hopefully, uh, Jack comes back healthy, and then you still got uh, you still got uh, Dallas. You know, definitely was uh, overachieved this year, so they're going to be, I think, in the mix. It's got Christian Wood, so I, I think the West is going to be a gauntlet to run through. Even if, and I mean, we talked about the Pelicans. Uh, I think the Pelicans, depending on what happens, I think they make a nice jump this year as well. So it, the the West is immensely talented. So. Uh, if you have Golden State as a favorite to win the title, I can't disagree with that. I think just based off of pedigree and experience. And if you're telling me that uh, I think, you know, Clay Pigeon's going to be better than he was this year. He finally kind of figured it out on defense. Offense was still hit or miss, but I think, you know, he hadn't played in two years. So I think he'll be better. We'll see what happens with Draymond uh, with him. He kind of turned back the clock in game six and had a phenomenal game. But he was looking, he was looking a little gassed out there. So. I think it just depends. So um, 
I, I think Golden State having them as a favorite, or at least say, you know, number two or three as a favorite in the West, I have zero problem with that. Just based off of what they've already done. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did it again. Uh, I think they were a year ahead of schedule for me. I kind of didn't see with, you know, Stevie was kind of banged up. They were kind of very up and down. They started off great, and they went into a little bit of a lull. Draymond was hurt. Clay Pigeon hadn't played in two years. I just didn't see it happening. So they were a year ahead of me. So this was almost like a bonus title for them, which is great. I'm happy for them. But um, that's my looks on the West and the East. Um, Boston, I think, has a really bright future. Uh, I don't really get into the – I'm not really going to buy into the whole Tatum – I've heard that, you know, he choked, he fell apart. I'm like, he's 24 years old. He's a top 10 talent in the league. You know what I mean? He's a two, he's a phenomenal two-way player. He's, he was good on defense this, this series. You can't say he wasn't. I don't think he didn't get eaten alive out there on defense if you watch the series. So I think you still got that going. And, I mean, it was his first finals. I'm not going to hate him. Like, how many guys in their first finals ever just absolutely shoot lights out? Could he have been better? Of course. Was he below average? Yeah, he was. But I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, if he does this again next year, if they, you know, I mean, if he plays really poorly in the playoffs again next year, then maybe there's something to talk about. You know, I mean, maybe the playoffs here and there. But, I mean, he was the conference MVP. You know what I mean? He he was, he absolutely matched Yanni's uh, point for point and even more in that game six in Milwaukee that basically Milwaukee fell apart after that and they won. They won back-to-back game sevens, and he was a big part of that, you know what I mean, to get to the finals. So I can't hate him. I, I'm a big – you know, I'm a big uh, two-way J, Bacon Tatum, Green Goblin, whoever you want to call him. I like Jason Tatum a lot. I think he's a great talent. So I'm not going to get into all that. He did set the record, the playoff record for turnovers with 100. Uh, he beat uh, the basketball Barons record. But, I mean, if he does it again next year, then we can have a conversation. But I, I don't, I'm not going to buy into that. I think it's just, uh, you know – He's 24 years old. He's gonna he's gonna have opportunities to at least compete for a title. Now, with that being said, uh, I saw that Milwaukee was had the fifth highest size. Now, to me, uh, I, I think if Milwaukee, if Middleton, we're gonna go with ifs and this and that. I think I think they almost did when it they almost made the conference finals without Middleton. I think they would have beat Miami. I just don't see any way Miami stopping Giannis. This is impossible. Uh, nobody can stop him. Period. But with the way Idris was playing out of bio, uh, I just think it would have been it would have been a wrap. Milwaukee probably would have won five or six games, but so um, I think people are kind of sleeping on Milwaukee a little bit too. There's there's almost a like, oh yeah, Boston of course they'll get back. You never know. Am I saying Boston's never going to get back? No, you can't. I can't say that. But I also don't think it's a given that they're going to get back either. I think the East. You know what I mean? Milwaukee's sitting there. You got Philly. Who knows what's going to happen with them? But you still got to deal with the process at some point. And Miami, Miami to me is one is one really good scorer away. And I'm talking about a star scorer, like a Brad a Bradley Beal type of player. Who's I'm trying to think of somebody else off the top of my head. Um, uh, Donovan Mitchell. I think Donnie Switch. If they get someone like that, then um, the East is going to be very interesting. And I think uh, I can see Riley, you know, kind of making a splash like that. Especially he's got he's got Dwayne Wade over there. They're homies. Hey, you know, do me a favor, give me Donovan Mitchell, hook me up. You know what I mean? You, don't, you guys don't want him anymore anyway. I can see that happening, and then it'll be like it'll be absolute chaos in the NBA, and we'll love it. So I mean, don't sleep on Milwaukee. Don't sleep on Miami. Uh, I think they're definitely going to be there. I mean, the Bulls are going to get better. I think Cleveland's only going to get better. 
it's it's a good conference. I think Toronto is just always a scary team to play just because of how well coached they are and how good of an organization they are. So while I do think the West is deeper in terms of title title contenders, I think the East is no longer the, oh, yeah, you just run through the East and you get to the finals. It's not like that anymore. I would say there's more title contenders in the West, but I would say the East is still no cakewalk, and you're going to have to deal with Yanis and Joel Embiid for at least another decade. You know what I mean? And, I mean, we saw what Jimmy did with no help. So, I mean, it's it's there. But Boston, I think I think you got a lot to be happy about. I think you're you were definitely another one that was a year ahead of schedule in terms of that nobody had them going to the finals. So if you're a Boston fan, I'd be happy. I mean, of course, you're sad they lost, which we agree, we understand. But uh, they achieved a lot with a rookie coach, and they have a lot to look forward to. They both Jalen Brown was great in this finals, I think. Uh, uh, I think he, you know, she showed that he can be, you know, if he has to be the number one on occasion, he can do that. I think that's good to see. So those are my thoughts, uh, homie. What do you, what are your thoughts on the West and also the East and? Uh, the, traje- the trajectory of these two teams going forward. Yeah, I think as you mentioned, um, you know, I think this year to me, obviously, you know, a, a Western Conference team ended up winning the championship. But overall, I did think the East maybe was a little better this year. Um, the for, for Boston, you know, I think – the, the Tatum slander is is uncalled for. I mean, this dude, um, he scored the most points in the entire playoffs. I think, even though even with Stevie, like it, you know, playing playing pretty well for a lot of that, um, really well for a lot of that. Um, I think you know he's been Tatum was spectacular through the first couple series. He played like, I mean, he played forty minute, almost forty. 40 to 45 minutes a game in the finals. To me, he looked really tired. And like he was carrying a lot of that burden. And we were talking before the show, and I'm I'm gonna reiterate what I said then. There's a lot of pressure on Tatum, not just to score the ball, but to be like the playmaker for this team. Because if we're being honest, they don't have a better option in terms of passers. Marcus Smart, I mean, he has games where he looks really good and is like the, you know, steady, like pass first point guard that you'd want. But the story of this series was him shooting threes and bricking them until until Boston was out of the game. Um, So to me, like Tatum is trying to be the number one scorer. He's the number one defender uh, on the perimeter for that team for the most part. I mean, Smart was on Steph, but... You know, he had to deal with Wiggins. He had to deal um, – he had to guard Draymond every once in a while. Um, you know, they move they move Tatum all over the place. Um, so he's playing out there um, an absurd amount of minutes, playing hard both sides of the ball um, after being their number one option through three rounds of a pretty physical Eastern Conference playoffs, I'd say. You go against Milwaukee and Miami. Like, those are those are not, you know, finesse games you know, by any means, those are, those are physical, you know, tough, you know, grind, grinded out games. So um, I don't have any bad, bad things to say about Tatum. Did he get it done this year? No, he didn't. He was, it it was, it was disappointing, I'm sure. Um, But I I can't, I can't really throw shade at, he was, he had done so much for them through the whole playoffs 
Um, he, again, like he looked just a little overburdened on offense to me. Like he was trying to do, trying to make too many things happen. And I can't blame him. Like he, he didn't get the help from his teammates offensively aside from Jalen Brown, like you mentioned, and even Jalen, you know, for as good as he was scoring the ball, turned it over a ton. You know, he is, he is not a great passer by any means. And me, you and Deuce, like we were on a, on a call watching the game together. And we all were saying, God, like he looks like he can't dribble some of the time. <laughs> like, you know, like he is really sloppy with the ball when you got that. And when you have Marcus smart deciding to take things into his own hands and, and chuck up some threes, like it, it just put them in a terrible position offensively. And so for me, like I mentioned to you, um, you know, a couple times, you know, before before our record, I just think they got to get a real point guard, a real point guard. Marcus Smart is not a point guard. Marcus Smart is a fantastic defensive player who is a spark plug um, in a lot of situations on offense. He is not a steady presence um, at, at the one spot. So you, to me, you slide him over to the two, let him continue to start, let him continue to play stellar defense, you know, get hot maybe on some threes, but you got to have someone who is the primary playmaker on this team. And to me, I think Ime did unlock a lot of stuff by making it a more egalitarian offense with more passing, you know, Al Horford, Robert Williams. So they, they have good passers on this team, but you still have to have a perimeter player, in my opinion, a guard in this league who can start the offense and get things going. Um, and, you know, the best wing defenders can, or best wing players, I should say, can make things happen, but you still need like a, a, a steady guard position. And I just don't think they have the the kind of guy I'm thinking, you know, the, 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 the prototype would be like Chris Paul. Now they're not getting Chris Paul. And so we're, I'm not even going to get into that, but I'm thinking like a good steady point guard, like Malcolm Brogdon, or um, I don't know, like, you know, even, even a guy like, yeah, like CJ, what he did for the Pelicans, you know, those are the types of guys where I feel like you need just a, a, a guard who can initiate some more of the offense. So it's not all on Tatum. It's not all on Brown to do everything offensively. Um, so that would be my opinion. But what do, what do you think about that home? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think even a guy like you don't even have to go star. You can go like a Tyus Jones. Yeah, a guy like steady, that who's just a really player. steady hand, mm -hmm. really solid, knows his role and shuts his mouth, as the rock would say. Know your role and shut your mouth. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just knows his role. He doesn't try to do too much. You know what I mean? He was very good uh when uh, when Ja was out. They were they didn't miss a beat, really. I mean, in terms of winning. Except when we got to the playoffs, but he's a great backup. So even a guy like of that caliber, you don't have to go and you know shoot for the moon here. So I agree. I think I think they definitely need a point, a true point, someone who can kind of help orchestrate the offense. So it's not all on, okay, Jason, we need you to you know give us twenty five a night, play elite defense, and also you know get get everybody else involved as well, every single night and every single play. I don't think that's realistic for him. So yeah, I agree. I think he was tired, but I'm not going to buy into all that. Now, if they make the finals again next year and he's equally he has an equal, you know, equivalent performance, then maybe there's something to talk about. But I mean, until then, let's let's kind of you know slow our roll on that. But yeah, I agree. I, I think they definitely need a point, and I think they're gonna probably be in the either in the draft or in the free agent market looking for one, and that makes sense to me. And uh, a couple of things that stood out to me 
that I wanted to mention and get your thoughts on was for Golden State was uh, they won to me this series. A lot of it was won with their defense. So all all four of their wins, they held Boston under 100 points, which in today's NBA is rare. You know what I mean? For teams not to score 100 points. Every time they won, Boston did not score 100 points. So I want to definitely get your thoughts on their defense. Because I feel like their defense was one of the main reasons they won this title, uh, which is, is great to see. We love we love defense. Um, we love the shooting, of course, but we do like to see a nice balanced game, I guess you could say. We don't like the – I mean, I don't know if anybody likes the, you know, 79 to 72 games, but also I don't – I'm not too big of a fan of the 125 to 122 games either. You know what I mean? Because it's just like shooting shots and that's all it is. So we like a nice balanced game and we kind of got that with Golden State. But get your thoughts on their defense, homie. But also uh, I want to to talk about uh, Andrew Wiggins, I think. I'll get your thoughts on him. So uh, I'm on the record on the show I've said it that uh, Jordan Poole, I think, uh, should definitely get paid. And I think he still will and I think he should, even though – he, he regressed a little bit to me. I, I want to see a little bit more from him, but I still think he should get paid. I think he's he's a big uh, a big piece of what Golden State's going to do in the future. I think if you I think when you have Poole, Kuminga, and Moody as your pieces going forward, while, with while you know the the Curry Green Thompson era comes to an end in a few years or however long it takes, that's a great you know Plan B to have. So I think you got to keep Poole in there no matter what. But I did say. Uh, if you have to move Wiggins to make the money work, you do that. And now I have to think about, I don't know if you, I don't think I would do that anymore. And I'm happy to say that. Like, I mean, he's always been a guy where, you know, low motor, we, the talent was there, but we just haven't seen it consistently when you need to see it. You know what I mean? It's like, well, he went number one for a reason. It's not like he just was, you know, everybody fell asleep at the desk that day. And he's like, okay, well, I guess we'll take this guy. And like nobody threw dart boards, dart, darts at the board and said, okay, I guess this guy goes number one. He's a talented player, but I mean, you saw in, in Minnesota, he was just kind of like a little bit lackadaisical, I guess you could say. And you're like, this guy should be so much better. He should be giving me so much more than he's given me. And I think, I think the Golden State culture has kind of un- unlocked that for him. So I think he's a good fit there. So I'm going to, I'm going to retract that statement and say, you need to make it work with both. Cause I think Wiggins uh, was their second most important player in this series. So I think he will be going forward. I don't know. We'll see what happens with Clay Pigeon. Uh, Clay Pigeon should slide back into that second uh, second best player in the team role. We'll see what happens. But Wiggins is going to give you, uh, if he's going to give you, you know, what he's giving you, 15 and 10 every night, then you can't beat that. And he's going to play good defense, take the best player in the team and lock him up. You, you can't ask for much better than that. So I want to definitely give love uh, to Andrew Wiggins. He had a great series. Uh, and I want to retract that statement and say that, no, I don't I don't think you move him now. I think he he showed his value at the at the – the time when he needed to, especially in that game five, uh, when when Stevie had a had a uh, well, you can we can put this in quotes, bad game. He still had sixteen, you know, what I mean, eight assists, and and I want to say he had two turnovers, so he still had a good game, just didn't shoot it well. But I mean, the role players stepped up, so I want to I want to just go ahead and amend that statement. But yeah, what are your thoughts, homie, about uh, Golden State's defense in this series, and I think that was the reason why they ended up winning the title, and also. Uh, Thoughts on Wiggins and, and how he performed, and uh, do you agree with me that you know you 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 got to resign Pool, but you got to keep Wiggins as well? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's it's easy to to focus on Golden State's offense because you know they do play a very 
unique brand of offense and, you know, any team that has Steph on the team, like you're going to be talking about, you know, offense more than defense, probably like he is, is one of the great offensive players we've ever seen, but yeah, they, I think the defensive side of things, you know, has been a little under talked about, I guess, through the playoffs, Um, you know, People talked a lot about Boston's defense with good reason. Boston was the best defensive team in the league this year. And to me, that's one of the things that makes Curry's performance even more impressive is he's doing this against the defensive player of the year winner in smart guarding him most of the series and against the number one defense. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is like they held Boston under a hundred points consistently in their wins and you know they're not like you said they're not they're not putting up 120 130 points a game against this Boston defense um they're 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 lucky if they get into the mid 100s you know 105 106 so you know to me the defense is has to be a part of our conversation for this series cuz um yeah i'm just like looking at the scores game 1 boston put up 120 uh, on, on Golden State, 120 to 108. Obviously, that was that was the highest scoring game, I think, of the series. Um, Warriors beat the Celtics 107 to 88, so bo- held Boston below 100. Boston's next win um, was they got 116 to the Warriors 100. And then for the next three games, Boston had 97, 94, and 90, while Golden State got above 100. Now, not way above 100. Like I said, you know, 107 game four, 104 game five, um, 103 game six. But, you know, they're beating the team by 10 points because their defense is playing so well. I think a lot of that has to do with, Game four forward, I feel like Clay and Draymond both locked in. Now, Draymond had some awful games. I mean, we were talking in our last record with Deuce about, like, what is going on with this guy? Is he over the hill? He played great, I thought, in game five and really, really great in game six. I mean, he was vintage Draymond in uh, game six, definitely. You know, teasing with a triple-double, amazing defense, Great passing, just overall, like, fantastic floor game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is this is maybe the best defensive Warriors team that we've seen in this run. Um, now, I mean, you know, Kevin Durant, like you said, he's an underrated defender. Those teams probably had more upside with him out there. But um, Wiggins was excellent defender um, on Tatum this series. Um, so he was way above average. Like you said, Steph was no longer a liability. Clay games one through three defensively, like I said, looked like toast, um, but then really picked it up moving forward after that. And so, yeah, it was just, they didn't have any liabilities out there. Now the Boston didn't either. And that's why I say like Steph was the difference here. Like both teams just had no defense, big defensive weaknesses. And it was really who had the guy who was going to make something out of nothing. And it was Golden State. So um, Golden State went with the tried and true, you know, path to the championship. Awesome defense with a legendary score. Like that is a pretty good recipe to get you uh, an NBA championship, I think, in in this day and age. And and that's what they they brought. Um, 
yeah, Wiggins, I've got to uh I've got to completely change the way I think about this guy. Um even this year I was like you know, like when he he got the All-Star game starter spot, I was like what a joke. You know, not that he yeah, I thought me he too. was having a bad me year. Me too. I got to say we I was did. too. So it's not just you, homie. We both did. So. And even in hindsight, like should Andrew Wiggins after everything I've seen and how great he's been, been an All-Star starter? No. Nah. But he was a I think in hindsight, a worthy selection to the all-star game. And he, he, I mean, to me, people talk about, oh, he's playing smarter. You know, he's in a better system to me. It's just defensively. Like he decided I'm more athletic than most guys out here. What does Jason Tatum have an athleticism that I don't. And he decided to actually give a damn this year on defense. And that made all the difference to me, the offensive stuff. Like, yeah, like I think he, he in this system is able to showcase more of his mid-range game, you know, his post game um, because he's playing with some great shooters, but um, he also just played smarter offense, less like long mid-range two point shots, more threes, more driving to the basket. And yeah, has really, really made it, uh, you know, made everything that, that we expected uh, happen as a reality. Um you know, I think it just says a lot about the team that's that players land with because you know Wiggins had all the talent in the world, and the Minnesota Timberwolves couldn't make anything out of it. So you know, to me, this is a story of you know Andrew Wiggins getting better. I don't want to take that away from him. He he worked and he he you know I'm sure put in a lot of hours in the gym, um, a lot of a lot of hours shooting the ball. Um, but you know, it's also like the Warriors knew his strengths, knew his weaknesses, and were able to put him in positions that emphasize the strengths and and you know hid the the deficiencies a little bit. And yeah, he's he's played up to this that big comfort uh contract that he got all those years ago that was one of the worst in the league. Now it's like, yeah, pay Andrew Wiggins 25 million, fine, yeah, let's do it. He was a he was he was really good out there. Um, so maybe it's a one hit wonder, but I don't know. I tend to think he just found the right situation and it's going to be a, a useful player for them moving forward. But yeah. What do you think? Like he, he's a guy who, you know, has kind of made it up, um, you know, to the NBA viewership with all those bad years. What do you, what do you think about his career moving forward? Yeah, I think this is definitely undoubtedly the, the best year of his career. And he couldn't have picked a better time to do it. I mean, with the all-star thing, we had fun with that. But, yeah, like you said, hindsight, as a reserve, sure. As an all-star starter, no, I'm still not going to, you know what I mean, uh, drink the Kool-Aid too much on that. Uh, I think he's still not one of the five best players in the Western Conference. I'm sorry. You know what I mean? Or five best, uh, even yeah, five best of the, the wings in the Western Conference. But as an all-star, sure. So, I mean, maybe maybe the, the fans saw something that we didn't that was coming in the future. I don't know. But um, yeah, I think I think he definitely builds on this. I think if he he understands his role, right? He doesn't have to be. I mean, this in this series, he had to be their second best player because Clay Pigeon and Draymond were kind of were uh, not cutting it at times, to be real. But I think uh, going forward, I think we're going to see a better Thompson. We'll see what happens with Draymond. I don't know. I mean, I think even if Draymond, I, I think you kind of kind of say, okay. He's gonna probably have to be like maybe our fourth most important player at this point. You know what I mean? I don't know if he can be our three anymore. And that's not saying he's not good anymore. I'm just saying that 
we saw flashes and maybe it might be time to have a backup plan. And Wiggins could be that backup plan. He could be their third. You know what I mean? With Poole, we'll see he's still really young. But I, I think I think definitely the uh, he, he builds off of this and he continues to, even if he stays to where he's at now and just continues that, that's great production. You'll take that every day, every game. You know what I mean? So uh, I think he'll get better from this. I think he'll definitely, this will be a confidence boost for him. He was a major reason why they won the title. So I just want to congratulate him. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where he goes from here. And uh, congratulate the Golden State uh, front office for making the deal and seeing something that we didn't because it helped them. A lot of people are saying that without that deal, they don't win the title this year. And I think, you know what, that's probably true. So I definitely want to, uh, Bob Myers and the rest of the staff in the front office, uh, great job for you. And just staying pat, not making too many, didn't make a, you know, a impulse move at the deadline, was happy with where you were, and it, and it worked out. So congrats to them. And uh, just to close off my thoughts, I just want to say congratulations to Golden State once again for winning the title. But also congratulations to Boston, the Leprechauns, as we like to call them. On a very good season, uh, nothing to hang your head about. You made the finals. You pushed Golden State to six games, and it was six hard-fought games. There was not really a blowout to me necessarily. Game two, maybe you could say a little bit, but for the most part, uh, it was it was hard fought. They Golden State had to earn this title, so you didn't just let them walk over you. So for Boston fans and for Boston franchise, you, there's a lot to be happy about. So I know it's bittersweet, but um, this is only going to help you get better. And uh, we we didn't see we saw a little bit of the uh, the lifeguard lineup as I like to call it with uh, Curry Thompson Pool, not as much as we saw in previous series, but we did see a little bit of that. But uh, we did get the title wave. As I said, if they won the title, it would be a title wave. So we did get the title wave with uh, the Splash Brothers, and they had a pool party. So title wave. Uh, yeah, closing thoughts on the finals, homie. Uh, it was enjoyable. I, I enjoyed it. It wasn't my favorite finals ever, I will say that. Uh, but uh, it was enjoyable. I did like it. It's a lot better than I thought it was going to be. So I'm happy with it. Yeah, I, I thought the finals were good. Um, you know, the score didn't always reflect, you know, how competitive they were. Um, I think the big difference is like last year, a lot of those NBA finals games went down to the last, you know, seconds, last plays. You know, we think about some of the defining moments. It's like Drew Holiday's steal, Giannis with the block, Giannis with the dunk. You know, those were like closing seconds, you know, big you know, everyone glued to the TV moments, you know, a lot of these games with two or three minutes left, it was like, okay, I, I see what happened. Um, not that they weren't enjoyable, but you know, good finals um, definitely was, I think better than a lot of other series, this playoffs, to be honest. And um, yeah, like maybe probably not one of the all time greats for me, um, but Definitely an entertaining one. Um, I think both teams should be, feel pretty good moving forward. They're both in, you know, pretty good positions to be good next year and be able to to compete again. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was a good season. It was it definitely didn't end the way I expected. Um, I would not have had either of these teams in the finals. Uh, you know, at various points, not not only before the season, but at various points in the season. Um, so it was a little bit of a surprise. You know. In, in, you know, both teams, I think, gained pretty good steam throughout the playoffs. So, um, yeah, I enjoyed it all. It was it was fun to watch. Um, I'm sad that the NBA is over. But then, like, you know, like like all things to the NBA, once you are you get over your sadness about, 
no more basketball for a couple months you go but we got the nba draft we got free agency you know we got all the rumors like that stuff is just as fun sometimes as the games themselves so um i'll use that as a uh, a way to segue into our our next component of shooting hoops here um the 2022 uh mock nba draft uh you know this is this is going to be our first we hope of many mock drafts um but yeah the nba draft is going to be um held in about five days um on is it june 23rd homie is that the exact day yeah the the 23rd so um we're less than a week away you know we'll we'll be you know we got finished talking about the finals and now everyone's going to be talking about the draft um there's usually some trades surrounding the draft we've already seen maybe a couple um but yeah we're gonna go ahead and do a mock draft ourselves we i think both spent a good amount of time listening to podcasts reading articles getting a sense of how we think this draft will go down um it's an interesting one for sure like you know there. I think every year there's surprises that happen in the draft and people will say, Oh, it's a, it's a two person draft or it's a three person draft or a five person draft. And then we end up seeing, no, there are lots of guys in the late teens in the, you know, late lottery, even in the, even the twenties and into the second round who can make a difference. So for our sake, because we don't want to record for, I think we'd probably go 24 hours on a whole uh, two round draft. So we're going to stick to just the lottery um, for, for this, this go around. Um, the, the, the way we'll do it is we'll just alternate dra- uh, draft picks, you know, in the way, since there are two of us, um, we'll go one, two, th- you know, every other pick we get. Um Matt was kind enough to grant me the first pick of the NBA draft. Um, So he'll take the even numbers. I'll take the odd numbers. But before we kick it off, anything to add, homie, before we we dive right into it? Um, Yeah, so you you covered it, homie, just to say that uh, the way we went about drafting this, and I don't know P. Moore's draft picks. He doesn't know mine. This is completely surprise. This is fun. We We did our own draft boards. So it's be fun to see. Um, and we just, I, we went ahead drafting these, or at least when we made our picks, was that uh, we were imagining we're the GMs of this team, uh, what players fit our needs, and also what are we, how would we go about this if we were drafting for this team? So just to put it out there, we didn't just say, oh, I like this guy, even though they have, you know, three good guards already. I'm going to take another one because I like them. No, we went about, okay, I'm the GM of this team. What do I think is the best fit? And we're not experts by any means. Um, so, but we, we did do, uh, we did our due diligence. We did some research on it and all that stuff, but we're far from experts. So please don't say, well, you said this guy, he should have went this number and he's terrible. I'm, gonna say, I'm sorry. We're not experts, but we tried our best. We just love hoops and we wanted to go ahead and have a good time with this. And, uh, I've always been a fan of like fantasy drafts and like sports video games and stuff like that and all this fun stuff. So yeah, it's kind of a way we can live out that. So, uh, hopefully you enjoy, um, and let's, let's, uh, get it popping. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, we, me and Matt do not, you know, we we are pretty, I think, transparent about the fact that we don't watch like a ton of college basketball. I would say we watch a decent amount. Uh, we, we watch all the conference tourneys and, you know, the NCAA championship. And, you know, we, we also like keep up on 
the draft news and rumors that are that come out throughout the year. So um, yeah, we're we're not experts by any means. Um, even the experts who do draft these players for a living get a bunch of stuff wrong. So um, you know, so we're just doing this to have fun, really. Um, but yeah, why don't we go go ahead and kick it off? Um, yeah. so, so with that being said, uh, the hoops guru and the Orlando Magic are now on the clock. All right. So with the number one pick of the 2022 uh, Helmets, Hoops, and Homies mock NBA draft, the Orlando Magic are taking, with their number one pick, Jabari Smith. Um, so this is one, uh, you know, I know I said that all very confidently, uh, as the Hoops Guru should, but this was a, a really tough pick. I'm going to be, just be completely honest. Um, Jabari Smith is not my number one prospect on the draft board, to be honest. Um, you know, I'm a huge Chet Holmgren guy. Um, people who listen to the podcast know, um, I like defense a lot. Um, usually sometimes more than offense. Um, I do like more, uh, a lot of times well-rounded players. Um, I value, you know, uh, good passers uh, a lot of times over good shooters or good scores, you know, volume scores. So um, all that said, you know, Chet, Chet was my number one. I just don't think there was as huge a gap in talent between him and Jabari Smith um, to justify taking a guy like him, when you what you need, if, if, if as the Orlando Magic is scoring, I think they need scoring. <laughs> that is what the Orlando Magic need. They have, you know, solid players all over the roster. Um, you know, Wendell Carter's a really good, solid two-way uh, center. Um, Jonathan Isaac hasn't played for like two years, but he was really good. Um, you know, defensive four. Um, you know, Cole Anthony's been like a really good scorer. Jalen Suggs had a really rough rookie year, but we think we both like, I think, Franz Wagner quite a bit and think he's a really good role player. But what they're missing is like, who's the star, right? Who is getting you buckets when it matters? And to me, as much as I love Chet's defensive potential, as much as I love um, his, his hoops IQ, his um, competitiveness, I want a guy who can put the ball through the hoop consistently um, every possession. And to me, I feel like Jabari Smith offers the most. It. He, he is a phenomenal shooter at 6'10", a guy who can shoot from three, who can shoot from the mid-range, a good free throw shooter, um, does a lot of his work on the perimeter. You know, he can finish inside, sure, but, you know, that's not probably what makes him stand out. He is a, a, a fantastic shooter from all over the floor. And at his size, like there just aren't a lot of guys who are going to be able to block his shot. And I think he plugs in really nicely between Wendell Carter and Franz Wagner. Um, you know, he is a good defender, uh, a versatile defender. You know, you can probably play him one through four. And if they're playing small on the other side, you can play him as small ball five. Um, he is a really good uh, switch defender. I wouldn't say he's the at all the rim protector Chet Holmgren is, but he's a good perimeter defender. Um, he's not going to make it easy, solid, solid rebounder. Um, and here's to me, like the intangibles come in. He is apparently an extremely hard worker. 
Like I think on one of our favorite uh, uh, fellow hoops podcasts, um, the mismatch, I remember Chris Vernon just saying like he had heard this guy did a two hour hyper intense workout and took no water breaks at all. Just like plowed through it. And you know, that's the stuff you love to hear. So to me, he's one of those guys, like, I don't know what his ceiling is, but I think he's going to hit it, you know? So he's, it's more like, you know, can he figure out how to become like a ball handler and not have to rely on others to get a shot off? Um, yeah, like that's all important. But I think, you know, the the Magic have a couple pretty interesting options at the guard spot, guys who can who can pass the ball. So um, I think he'll he'll just fit in really nicely in that system. Um, you know, and if Isaac can come back healthy and if Wendell Carter comes back, you've got other good big men to play around him and he's making their lives easier by stretching the floor for them. So I'm going Jabari Smith with, uh, the number one pick. It definitely was not a like automatic, you know, don't have to think about it. Number one. Um, but I do think, um, you know, I think it's the right choice for the Orlando magic. So Going into the number two pick, I'll turn it over to you, homie. Oh, with the number two pick in the Helmet Soups and Homies mock NBA draft, the Oklahoma City Thunder select Chet Holmgren, center, Gonzaga. So for me, uh, this is a, this is the type of draft where after one, whoever you get at two is a great you win. This is a this is a type of draft where if you're picking the top three, you win. It's kind of like last year. So for me, Chet Holmgren, I think was the pick for me. Regardless, even if if Oklahoma City had gotten the number one pick, Chet was the guy I think you take. And the reason why for that is that I think for the Thunder, you're set in the backcourt. You got you got SGA and you got Josh Giddy. You're set there. Lou Dort is a very good three. He's a kind of a it's kind of a, a two three kind of hybrid, good defender, solid player. I think he's a part of your long term plans. Uh, Darius Baisley, we'll see. But the one piece that you're really missing, you're lacking, especially when I'm when I'm watching these games for the Thunder, is you need a you don't have no interior presence. You need a big, right? And that's what they're missing. You have great playmaking from the guard position. Ludort does his thing, good defender, but you're missing. You're missing that interior presence that's gonna that's gonna have you know be good in the pick and roll game, that interior defense, a rim protector, and I think Chet Holmgren brings you all those things that you're missing. And also, I think the upside is is very high on him. Now, there I, I get the question marks on him where you know very skinny, almost looks frail at times. But I think uh, how many guys coming into the league are have NBA ready bodies day one? It's not that common, right? Look at look at uh, completely different players, completely different players. But Steph Curry, you look at him when he got drafted and look at him now. He's not even the same guy. So, I mean, like I said, totally different players, but that's just an example off the top of my head from recent, recently that we saw. So um, he's going to get better. He's going to get stronger. I think if he's able to stay healthy, which I think he will be, hopefully. You know what I mean? We'll see. But, I mean, good defender, very good shot blocker. He's seven feet tall seven foot five wingspan and he can hit the three i mean to get that kind of rare skill set you don't really see a guy like that who's that good on defense but also that good on offense and he gives you that interior presence that you're missing and he opens up the entire floor for your team like i said and the good thing about him is you can say uh he kind of had some moments at gonzaga where drew timmy kind of took over he was the leader of that team and he still is 
but uh, there was maybe times in the moment might have been too big for Chet. He should have dominated these, these guys because he was so much better than the players he was playing against. But you can kind of say that for a lot of guys, right? Say that for Jabari Smith. You can say that for uh, Paolo Banquero. You can say that for him too. But the thing with me is that uh, in OKC, he doesn't have to worry about being, okay, I'm the guy, I'm the guy. This is this is Shea Gilgis-Alexander's team. Josh Gay is going to run the offense. Shea is going to do it, be a playmaker, get you some points. And all Chet has to do is, if, he, if you're open, pass you the ball, hit the shot, play good defense, you know what I mean? Protect the rim, rebound. And I think that's a fair, I think it's a fair expectation to ask of a guy to go number two, be like, look, you don't got to be our franchise guy. We already got our franchise guy, to me at least. So I'm looking at this is just a great, a great asset to get. And this is what you've been missing. And I think this could be the piece that unlocks the playoff potential of the Thunder. So with that being said, Chet Holmgren to me was the the no-brainer pick at number two for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And uh the Houston Rockets at number three are now on the clock. All right. After much deliberation, actually it wasn't that much deliberation. It was a pretty easy shoe-in. Um, but the Houston Rockets with the number three pick of the 2022 Helmets, Hoops, and Homies mock NBA draft. Um, they will take uh, Paolo Bancaro forward from uh, Duke University at Number three. Um, so, uh, you know, the story of this draft was that it was a, a three guy draft. Um, and it's actually funny because it was like not just a three person draft, but it was like kind of like a three power forward draft. Um, but all three of these guys are are forwards, if not centers. Um, but I would say all three of them played next to actually more traditional centers. You mentioned Drew Timmy. For um, Chet Holmgren, he played more of the traditional five um, where he's like under the basket, you know, getting more rebounds, um, you know, doing that stuff. Um, Jabari Smith played next to um, uh, a big shot blocker uh, from Auburn, Kessler. Walker Kessler, is that his name, homie? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Walker Kessler, big, big, uh, big seven foot plus uh, shot blocker. So he played the four and Paolo Bancaro played next to center Mark Williams. So these guys all ended up playing power forward. Um, Bancaro is definitely a different player than both Holmgren and Jabari Smith. Um, while he can play from the perimeter, I would not say he's a knockdown shooter the way that Smith is by any means. He's not the defender or the passer that Holmgren is. But I think what he probably brings more than either of them right away is go-to scoring. Um, the thing about uh, uh, Paolo, I think the thing that he has shown that the first two picks did not was an ability to create his own shot. Um, and so whether that's from the mid-range, whether that's down low, whether he's facing up or posting up, he's just a very um, polished uh, you know, score, uh, really good ball handler. He's like 6'10", 2, I want to say like 220, 230. He's a big guy, but really um, a finesse, finesse uh, ball handler, um, you know, shows really good fluidity for his size. Um, he's a guy who I think is going to be a really good scorer. He didn't show as much as you would hope defensively, while at Duke, especially considering he was in a different league in terms of his body and his size and, 
you know, his strength and skill compared to the other guys. But um, I, w- I wouldn't count him out as a bad defender. I think he has the tools um, to be the footwork on offense. Like if that could translate maybe to defense and being able to move his feet on the perimeter, I think he has a, a lot of room to grow in that area, whether he'll hit it, who knows. Um, Bancaro, I will say it's worth pointing out a lot of, uh, not a lot, but some really well-respected NBA draft people had him as a number one prospect, I would say. Um, and I would not disregard that as nonsense in, by any means. I think I think there are justifications for choosing either one of these three guys or all three of these guys, number one. Um, but yeah, like it, it really for for the people who did take him number one, it was I think he is the most pro ready in terms of his body, his skill set. Does he have the highest upside? I think maybe not, but um, with Houston, you've got Jalen Green, um, who's who showed some some really good flashes toward the end of his rookie year. Um, they just traded away Christian Wood, so you're opening up space in the front court uh, for a guy like um, Paolo. Um, you know, opens more time for um, Shangun at center as well, um, who sh- showed a lot of flashes his rookie year. So. Um, I think he goes into a situation where he's going to be asked to maybe score a little more, take on a little more of the offense, you know, um, just give Green some, uh, you know, some reps off. Um, and yeah, I think the the Rockets should be really happy that they were, you know, the number three pick and and got to take whoever was available with this pick. Um, so yeah, I think I think um, I definitely was higher on Jabari and Chet, but. Um, Bancaro is not too bad of a number three pick, a consolation prize if you're if you're the Houston Rockets by any means. So they have to be pretty thrilled with this. And so yeah, with that, I will turn it over to you uh, for the number four pick. Uh, what, who's the team on the clock for this pick, Omi? The uh, Sacramento Kings, our team, the Gurus. So, the Gurus, the future yeah, Gurus. And when we buy them, yeah. So with the number four pick. In the 2022 Helmet Soups and Homies NBA mock draft, the Sacramento Kings select Shaden Sharp, guard, Kentucky. So this is a very, from what I've been reading, seeing, watching, this is a very controversial pick for me at number four. But I want to go ahead and give my reasoning for that. So to me, uh, looking at this four spot, looking at the Kings roster, or if I'm thinking about, okay, who are the players that we want to build around, at least that they're going to build around. So you got, we're thinking, we're thinking you got uh, De'Aaron Fox, Davion Mitchell. So your backcourt, for the most part, is set. And you also have uh, Sabonis, right? So you're good at the four. So you're thinking about, I'm thinking about, okay, what's the best value? What's the highest upside here? Because this was, like we said, top three guys are pretty much set. Not necessarily the order, but they were going to go in the top three. And then after that, that's when the draft really starts for me. So I'm looking at, okay, I want a guy who has a high upside here at four. So who's somebody who I think could have the potential to possibly be the best player in this draft, but is also a high risk. So I'm like, you know what? I like, I like Shaden Sharp's game. Six foot six, explosive freak athlete and get to the rim at will. Good shooter. He's good on defense. He's a really good two-way player. Now, you can say he didn't play at all this year at Kentucky. So he's kind of really raw. He's basically fresh coming out of high school. But, I mean, you got to think about – I don't, like the, I don't think that should be too much of a deterrent 
Because you remember back in the day, guys would come out of high school all the time. You know what I mean? And if they had the talent, talent is talent. Like, I don't think not playing one year of college when you were one of the top prospects of your of your class coming out of high school should be a deterrent for a team if you really sold on his upside and if you're sold on his skill set. So for me, this makes sense for a, a franchise that's really been floundering for the last two decades, a team that really needs a boost. I think this guy has star potential. I think he can be a superstar. I think he has superstar potential. It also could be end up being possibly something where it's risky. But I think when you're when you're really hoping to make the playoffs next year, that's your goal every year, and you still haven't done it. You got a guy with this high of an upside just sitting there at four. You missed out on the top three guys. I think Shaden Sharp is a pick here. I think what you do is if you wanna if you wanna play Mitchell and Fox together, then you go ahead and do that and you slide you slide uh, Sharp into the three. And I could say, okay, what about Harry Barnes? Well, either you keep Harry Barnes and you put him at the four or you move him. You, you either make Sabonis your center, get rid of Holmes, or you move Barnes. Or, or you pick, I think the best thing for me is I would take Mitchell and have him be my backup point. You go Fox, Sharp, Barnes, Sabonis, Holmes. If we're sticking with what they got in the roster now, we'll see. That's what I would do. Have Mitchell come off the bench, he'd be a very good backup, good defender. That's what I think you do. You got a guy who can definitely, you're kind of, you're a little bit um, not as strong defensively as you'd like to be. I think Sharp kind of solves that problem for you at the three spot. If you put him in at the small forward position. I also think he can get you some points. He's got a really sweet stroke. So I like this pick. I think it makes sense. You got star potential. You're in a, a franchise and a fan base that's really starving for a superstar. And while I like Sabonis and Foxy, I don't think they're superstars. I think they're stars. I think Sharp could be, the potential to be one of, if not the best guys in this draft. So I think at this spot with the team, everything I've said, it makes sense for me. So Shaden Sharp, that's why he went number four. And with that being said, the Detroit or the Detroit Pistons are on the clock. All right. With the number five pick of the 2022 Helmet Hoops and Homies mock NBA draft, the uh, Detroit as you like to say, Pistons, uh, will take with their number five pick, uh, Jaden Ivey, guard out of Purdue. Um, so Ivey is a guy that um, he's kind of the, the prototypical, I feel like, lead guard slash combo guard that you see in the league a lot these days. Um, he has pretty good size at 6'4", so, you know, bigger than a lot of, you know, traditional point guards might be, smaller than a lot of, you know, not a lot of, but a decent number of two guards. Um, he's definitely more of a score first guard than he is a pass first guard, though he's not a bad passer by any means. He is probably the most electric guard in this class in terms of his athleticism. His shooting, you know, is, I think, a little bit of cause of concern. He's not like a knockdown, you know, a beautiful perimeter shooter. Um, he can make perimeter shots. Um, he shot 37% from three in college, 73% free throw, which leads me to believe like, he can be an average shooter, but maybe not an elite shooter. But he is, I think, an elite ball handler, an elite athlete at the guard spot, um, can really break dude, dudes down um, off the dribble. And the reason I think the Pistons are should be taking him in this spot is I just think he pairs well with what they have. 
Chet, oh, not Chet, <laughs> excuse me. Um, you know, Cade Cunningham is the, the the number one draft pick of last year, is kind of Detroit's player they're going to be building around uh, for the next, you know, foreseeable future. He's a He plays guard, obviously, but he's a big guard, 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", maybe, depending on the measurements you trust. Um, good defender, steady, very steady um, playmaker, not an elite athlete. I think that's the big thing. He's got great size. He's got great feel for the game, but he's not like a breakdown elite defender off the dribble with no pick kind of guy. He's like, bring a pick up. We'll see what happens. Um, I can pull up and shoot. I can hit the the roll man. Uh, I can hit the, the corner three guy. I think Ivy just brings something very different where he's going to be able to burn guys off the dribble. Um, you know, he, he, I think can play really well, you know, kind of like a thunder and lightning type of game with him and, and Cade. Um, they have some other pieces, uh, Sadiq Bay who scored 50 points in a game last year, <laughs> you know, it was against the Orlando magic, but he still, he scored 50 points in a game. He has some promise on the offensive side. They've got some defensive promise with uh, Isaiah Beef Stu Stewart, um, with Cade, who's a solid point of attack defender. So I just think um, Ivy, you know, gives them some more juice, some more scoring, um, some more offensive upside, and he fits really well next to Cade. And you know, a lot of I think a lot of mocks had him as the number four prospect. Definitely not all of them, but. Um, I think you're getting good value for him at five um, if you're Detroit. So um, I like that pick. I think it would be a good pairing at the backcourt to start with, and you can build around those those two guys. So with that, I will turn it over for the number six pick to um, the uh, Indiana Pacers. So take it over, homie. With the sixth pick in the 2022 Helmets, Hoops, and Homies NBA mock draft, the Indiana Pacers select Keegan Murray, forward, Iowa. So looking at this draft, um, to be real, Ivy was my number one on my board. I think he would have been a great fit. Obviously, local guy. It makes sense. For Indiana, it's kind of like a dream scenario. But uh, Keegan Murray is not a bad number two. He was number two on my board, so I kind of felt if Ivy goes, I'm really happy with Keegan Murray here. So Keegan Murray, if you're looking at his fit with Indiana, I think it makes sense. So what you need, you lost Karis LeVert. He's with Cleveland now. I think you kind of need a wing, a versatile wing. And I think this, I, I think you lost the bonus as well. We'll see what happens with Turner, but you need a versatile wing, right? To kind of fill that hole. You got Tyrese Halliburton. I'm assuming you're going to build around him. So like I said, we'll see what happens with Turner, but you want somebody who's going to be really solid on both ends. Maybe not spectacular yet, but coming into this, you know what you're going to get. Solid player, really good transition player. He's going to play good defense, possibly maybe not great, but very good and solid, a really reliable type of player. Um, no nonsense, doesn't do a lot of trash talking. He's a really solid guy. You know what you're going to get with him. You can kind of pencil him in for his production. He can get you, you know, possibly 10 and 8, you know what I mean, on a consistent basis. We'll see. Also runs the floor very well. Might, like I said, it might not be the most elite on either side of the ball on either end of the floor, but he's also a guy where you're not going to have to worry about, oh, he's going to take he's going to take plays off on defense. He's not going to move without the ball. He's going to be there. So if Halliburton's double teamed, or if they're running the pick and roll and Turner doesn't, you know, score, he can maybe clean that up 
and throw it down for you. He can kick it out, hit the corner three if he needs to. But he's a solid player, and he really improved. I know one of the one of the knocks on him was that he's a sophomore. He's going to be 22, I believe, later this summer. So maybe people are like concerned about that. But you already have a guy in your team who was the oldest player in the draft last year in Latino Heat, Chris Duarte. And I think I think when you have Halliburton and Duarte, who was second team all rookie, who went very low in the lottery, I want to say he went 13. So with us picking here at six, it makes sense to me when you have a, when you have two lights out shooters and Halliburton and Duarte, you want a guy who's solid for you, an all-around player. And this is what I think about. I think about Keegan Murray. I see an all-around player. You know what you're going to get. No surprises at this point. I think he definitely can improve. But I want somebody who's just going to be like reliable, dependable to go along with my two sharpshooters that I have in the backcourt. So Keegan Murray makes sense for me. And like I said, if they keep if they keep Turner, I like the way this is kind of building up for Indiana. I think they got some players to build around Rick Carlisle in the second year. It makes sense for me to go with Murray and kind of bring some stability to a team that's kind of been, you know, knocking on the door of getting out of the play-in, but they've kind of been up and down. They're right in that range, like that 10, I want to say maybe 9 to 12 range in the East. And maybe this could be a way they can kind of maybe sneak into higher than that 7 or 8. We'll see. So Keegan Murray was was a pick that made the most sense for me for Indiana. So that being said, the Portland Trailblazers are now on the clock. All right. Um, with the number seven pick in the 2022 Helmets, Hoops, and Homies mock NBA draft, the Portland Trailblazers will take Dyson Daniels, guard of the G League uh, Ignite. So, a um, lot to talk about here because this is a player. I think this is where, to me, maybe things open up even a little more. We said it was a top three, but I think we were probably pretty close in consensus for who was four, five, and six. And seven to me is where this really opens up even more significantly. Um, so, the, the, Dyson Daniels, for those who don't know, was a top prospect out of the Austra- uh, Australian League. He's an Australian player. Um, he's a 6'6 guard. Um, I would say pretty, I-, I would feel pretty comfortable, you know, describing him as a point guard, but, you know, he has the size to play two or three. Um, he's definitely not a player without his flaws, his biggest one being shooting. Um, he shot 25% uh, from three for the Ignite um, and 73% from the line. So I don't think his three-point shooting will be that bad. But with that foul, uh, that that free throw shooting percentage, I don't think he's like, you know, got great upside to be a fantastic shooter. What he does have is everything else, you know. And obviously, you know, we see shooting's important, but. He's a really good passer, great passer. Um, I kind of see him as like the the successor of the, you know, kind of like Joe Ingles, um, you know, y- y- uh, your guy, um, Koala Bear, uh, you know, just really good Australian, you know, playmaker, um, bigger body, you know, doing more of his playmaking um, with his size. Um, he's a good, uh, he's a good, um, defender, as I mentioned, with his size, he can play kind of one through three at the very least. Um, and for me, you know, he's not the guy I would say was at the top of my board for this pick, but looking at what the Trailblazers have right now, 
they have Damian Lillard and then some decent picks and a bunch of question marks. Um, you know, I think uh, Yusuf Nurkic is a decent, um, decent center, but he's getting towards the end of his deal. Um, I think that Josh Hart is a really solid, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, well-rounded wing. But do I think he's the number two on a really good team? No, definitely not. So I want to put a guy next to Dame in the backcourt who's different from any other kind of running mate he's had. He's not a CJ McCollum. He's not a score first guy, but he's going to be a really good defender. He's definitely not an Anthony Simons who is kind of like a slightly bigger Dame himself, really good shooter, great offensive player, not bringing much on the other side of the floor. So I think a guy who brings everything else when you have that kind of scoring potential is what um, the Trailblazers should be looking to do, um, especially since I think they – you know, they know they have a number one score. They have a number one guy. They have Dame. They have to try to make it work um, this year or he's going to start asking for a trade. Um, so uh, I think Dyson Daniels is the best pick for them with the number seven spot, which leads us to the number eight selection uh, uh, in our draft. Um, on the board, we have the New Orleans Pelicans. With the eighth pick in the 2022 Helmets, Hoops, and Homies NBA mock draft, the New Orleans Pelicans select Benedict Matherin, guard, Arizona. So with this pick, I'm looking at it from the Pelicans are pretty well set in their starting lineup, and they're also set with their bench players. So you're looking at their starting lineup projected to me at this this point would be you'd have C.J. McCollum at your point, and you would play, you would probably play Ingram at the two, and then you would have Herb Jones at your three, Zion at your four, and Jonas Valanciunas would be your center. So we're looking at okay, those are all set. You also have uh, Jose Alvarado is on your bench. He'd be your backup point. You have Jackson Hayes. You got Trey Murphy. So you're pretty set on wings here. So I'm looking at okay, we can we can use another combo type of guard or a guy who can play the two or the three. So when I'm looking at what the Pelicans can do, this is essentially to me was you take best player available and you just hope for the best here because they're they're very well set. So for me, uh, Benedict Matherin to me has the type of skill set that I think could be beneficial off the bench for New Orleans. When you got guys like CJ and Ingram need a break, you go ahead and you insert Matherin and he gives you some instant, uh, some instant offense. So he's, I mean, he's a, he's a good shooter. I think he's also, think about him as a, he's a really good shooter off the catch. So he moves well without the ball. And his skill set shouldn't be too hard to translate to the NBA for me, where there's going to be a lot more spacing for him. New Orleans likes to move the ball, especially if, if you see Ingram or McCollum's getting double teamed. They usually have good court vision. They're able to kick it out to somebody for an open shot. And we saw that with a guy like Matherman. We saw that in the tourney when he was with Arizona. While they did go out early, and they were the number. They were a number one seed. I think if you saw him, you see he's definitely got the swag, and he's got that type of personality that I think is a perfect fit for the type of culture that uh, Willie Green is, is wanting to bring to New Orleans that he's brought. I think Matherin is a perfect fit for me. He was the type of guy who was a number one on my board at this point. I like. I think he was a perfect fit for New Orleans, so I was very happy that he fell to me here. 
So I think if you think about the way he's his shooting, his ability to move off the ball, and also the fact that he's a willing defender. I think he's a, he's a type of guy where he's kind of a swingman type of player. You can really play him um, from the two to the four. I was four, I'd say if you want to go really small, you can put him there. But to me, he's more of a two or a three. But I also think he's a type of guy that um, he's only going to get better. I think he's able to show that he can be a number one guy. So he could be he could be one of your top scorers off the bench. If you need him to be, if the stars are getting some rest. And like I said, he's really got the type of personality and uh, swag that I think really goes well with what New Orleans is trying to build and to bring some confidence there. So for me, this was um, a very a very good pick, and I'm happy that he fell here. So that's why Benedict Matherin was the choice for me uh, for New Orleans. So the San Antonio Spurs are now on the clock. All right. With the uh, number nine pick of the 2022 Helmets, Hoops, and Homies mock NBA draft, uh, the San Antonio Spurs are going to take Jalen Duran, center from Memphis. Um, so Duran, to me, Duran was one of the top players in his class coming into this college season. I think anyone who followed Memphis this year uh, knows that they had a pretty disappointing year um, just in terms of the talent they had on their team. Um, so, you know, Penny, Penny Hardaway is still early in his coaching career there, but got a bunch of five-star picks um, basically to come to Memphis in the last few years. This year um, it was, or this past year, it was Jalen Duran and it was um, Amani Bates who was, um, considered one of the top prospects. Um, uh, Bates actually reclassified to be in this class and is actually still not even eligible to be drafted because he left high school after his junior year. Um, so yeah, he's still not even eligible to, to come into the NBA. But basically this team had some really high-level talent, but then like, you know, kind of inconsistent everywhere else on the team. That being said, Duran was an absolute beast all year. He is an absolute double machine. He is your prototypical kind of center with exactly the body you would you would want in kind of a you know big physical shot blocking center. So he I think is under seven feet. I think he clocks in around 6'10, 6'11. He's 230 pounds. I mean in terms of his body, the best comparison I can make, and this might sound blasphemous, but would be Dwight Howard. Like, I mean, this guy is huge for his age. For a 19-year-old um, to be as big and muscular as he is, is pretty crazy. Um, so what he's bringing to the table is a lot of the same stuff that Howard did, was with shot blocking, rebounding, dive and roll type of guy. Now, is he the most skilled guy offensively? No, not by any means. He's not even really like a DeAndre Ayton level offensive player where he has that kind of really nice touch um, around, uh, you know, from the mid range and around the basket. Um, but I do think he brings really good upside as a defensive player, really good upside as a screen and roll finisher. Um, and the fit for the Spurs you know, it's a bit interesting. They don't, the Spurs aren't always the team that's gonna, you know, bank on athleticism or athletic upside necessarily. You know, they play, they like to take historically, you know, good defenders, smart players, 
Um, but for me, like they have Jakob Pertl, um at the center spot. I, you know, we mentioned him as one of our number 25s this week. He is a solid um, defensive center, very limited offensively. And when you get him out of the paint, he's not like a great perimeter defender by any means. I think basically Duran is bringing the shot blocking and the defensive uh, rim protection upside, but with a lot more upside for being a perimeter defender. I mean, really quick, good feet. Um, so he could be a guy who, you know, you're not scared of getting switched out against a guy like John Morant or a guy like Steph Curry or a guy like, um, I don't know, Devin Booker or something like that. So I think, um, you know, the Spurs, basically this will allow them to move on from Pirtle, um, you know, go younger. Uh, their core is definitely very young with DeShante Murray, Devin Vassell, um, you know, the, the, the guys they have there right now, even, um, you know, some, some, some deeper, uh, bench players, um, on their team, um, who can, who can get some run like, uh, you know, the younger Jones brother. Um, but yeah, so I'm taking, uh, Jalen Duran. He, he is a, um, young guy, lots of upside. If you're the Spurs, you're to me like trying to skew younger here with this team. You don't have a bunch of great, you know, older veterans. So um, that's who they'll take um, in this draft at the number nine. But that puts um, on the clock Washington Wizards with the number 10 pick. With the number 10 pick in the 2022 Helmets, Hoops, and Homies NBA mock draft, the Washington Wizards select A.J. Griffin, forward, Duke. So with this pick here, I think you're definitely at 10. You would have liked to have get a big, to get a big here. I think that's one of the, at, at the center position, I think that's where you're lacking if you're Washington. But for me, you also got to think about um, – A.J. Griffin could have gone a couple picks before, and he's still sitting there at 10. So for me, he was number two on my board. I actually had Duran number one at this spot, but he's not there. So I think Griffin is a great uh, consolation prize here for me. When he's uh, There was talks if he would even be there from a lot of experts. So the fact that he's still there, is, I'm happy to see that. So for me, you're at a point with the Wizards where you're taking best player available. But also you got to think about Bradley Beal as your best player. He said he wants to stay there, and also, but he's been he's been hurt. He's been banged up the last couple of years, you can say, and you don't really know what you're going to get from him. So, and you need more scoring. You can't just be a Bradley Beal centric offense and expect to be successful. Now, to me, uh, I'm a real I'm a really high on uh, Rui Hachimura, and that's the thing that we've had talks about off the off the record. Um, P more not not as much as I am, uh, but I'm I'm a fan of him. I like his I really like his athleticism, his ability to finish off the rim. I think he can hit the open shot. So I think what you need is you need another really solid guard or forward. Uh, I think once again you got another one of these hybrid type of players where he can play the two. I think he's probably better at the three to me. And you can see that he worked well being around other stars. So I don't think playing with Bradley Beal will be will be a difficult assignment for him. I think he's he's relegated to okay. I can be the number two or three guy in a team and be happy with that because you saw he played with Banquero, he played with uh, Wendell Moore, Mark Williams, and things like that on Duke. So he's used to being around other stars. So it's not like it's going to be a problem. He's the son of Adrian Griffin, who's an NBA vet. He's a assistant coach for Toronto, so he's got a great pedigree there. 
uh, great basketball knowledge. But also, he's just a, he's a really good shooter. He's a good scorer. I think he's one of the best. He's one of the better scorers I think that's in this draft. And for me, if we're thinking about what types of players would be beneficial for Washington, I think they need another scorer, somebody who can kind of take that pressure off of Bradley Beal. Where you don't got to give me thirty every game. We got a guy who can go out there and chip in fifteen to twenty if you need him to. And I think that he's got a he's he's a nice finisher. I think he's got a nice amount of moves. I think he has a really solid mid range game, which is uh, starting to come back a little bit. It was a little bit of a lost start, but we're starting to see that again the last couple years. So he's really solid at the mid range. He doesn't have to just shoot the three. So that opens up the floor for you. And I think he has he's a six six. He's got about a six ten or eleven, I believe, wingspan, and he has the size. So with that wingspan, that length, that size, he has the ability to be a really good defender or a lockdown defender on some of these better wing players in the league. So I think for me, uh, this is the type of guy where you need someone to kind of take the pressure off. He can be he can be a co-star or solo star if Bradley Beal's out for whatever reason. So A.J. Griffin, to me, made the most sense. So that's why I went ahead and, and took him number 10. So now with um, the New York Knicks are now on the clock. All right, with the number 11 pick of the 2022 Helmets, Hoops, and Homies mock NBA draft, the New York Knickerbockers will select uh, Ty Ty Washington, guard, Kentucky. Um, so this might be the first real, maybe big, big uh, reach in this draft, I think. You know, the picks that we've made so far have largely been guys that have been considered top 10 players. Um, and so I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think I've, you know, me or you have, have, you know, gone too far. This might be the first one. Uh, Ty Ty Washington, you know, he ranges from everywhere from the bottom of the, the, the back end of the lottery into the number 20s end of the first round. So he has definitely a bigger range. Um, for for those of you who don't know, he's a Kentucky guard. Um, you know, Kentucky had a good team this past year. You know, maybe not as good as, as other Kentucky teams in years past, but, you know, they were definitely one of the most competitive teams in the country. Um, Ty Ty is, I think, what a lot of us would associate uh, as a typical Kentucky guard. Maybe on the smaller side a little bit, lightning fast. Uh, his perimeter shot is, you know, hit or miss, um, but can basically get into the paint anytime he wants. He's a really good passer, um, hyper athletic, very twitchy, quick player. Um, now, I think the thing that really, you know, prevented him from being a lottery pick on a lot of people's boards was his shooting and his size. He is a small, a small guard. Um, a, a type of player I claim to not like, but for some reason always end up liking smaller guards anyways. Um, so he's like around 6'2", 6'3", um, you know, only around 200 pounds, only a 33, 34% free, uh, three-point shooter in college. So, um, you know, three-point shooting isn't his best skill. He's a fantastic mid-range scorer. Um, he's made f- over 50% of his floaters. He's made uh, close to 44% um, off the dribble twos. Um, but yeah, just didn't really shoot a ton in college. Um, I will say, like a lot of times, uh, Calipari's 
you know, guards don't really discover their uh, perimeter shooting until they get to the league just because they're so athletic. Usually they can get by guys and get into the paint pretty easily. Um, the reason I take Ty Ty if I'm the Knicks is because they need a point guard. <laughs> they desperately need a point guard. Kind of like the Celtics, they need a pass-first point guard. Um, now, here's who they threw out there as the starting point guard last year. They threw out, um, for a little bit, Kemba Walker. That crashed and burned very quickly, um, despite having a couple games when a lot of guys were on the COVID list where he played well. That was an absolute disaster. Kemba was was not the same player we had seen um, and just was not really being productive at that spot. Then they put uh, – Tibbs put Alec Burks as uh, the, um, you know, as the point guard, nominal point guard on, on the first team with Evan Fournier. Um, Burks, I think, I think he's a good player. He is um, a decent shooter. Um, you know, competes on defense, but he he's not a he's not a point guard. He's not not a number one playmaker by any means. Did quickly out there, and I think that was probably their best option last year. But even quickly, like quickly is more to me like Lou Williams, uh, Jamal Crawford type, where he's you know he's going to get you buckets. He's going to take a lot of shots, and he's going to get you buckets. He can pass if he needs to, but that's not his number one skill. And to me, um, that's what Ty Ty Washington is going to bring. He's going to bring great passing, great pick and roll guard play, um, be able to help kind of organize their other options. Um, I think they just really need some stability at the number one spot. And if I'm being honest, no small part of this stretch to pick him is due to the fact that just I, I would beg our listeners, look at what happens with Kentucky Kentucky guards when they get to the NBA, they historically get become pretty good players. Um, you know, even even last year with Quickly and Tyrese uh, Maxey, obviously had a great year uh, for the Sixers this past year. Um, guys like Booker, um, guys like uh, De'Aaron Fox. Um, you know, the the all, all the, every year there's a. Pr- you know, uh, a Kentucky guard who ends up being a pretty damn good NBA player. So um, the Knicks, it's no secret that they have a lot of connections to the Kentucky program. Um, you know, their their uh, president, Jalen Rose of CAA, had um, or formerly president of CAA, the uh, agency group used to have a really uh, t- close relationship with Calipari. And so th- there's no secret that the Knicks like Kentucky guys. And I think they'll continue that trend here while also really filling a position of need with Ty Ty Washington. So with that at the number 12 spot, the um, this year in the draft, we have again, the OKC Thunder on the clock. With the 12th pick, in the 2022 Helmets, Hoops, and Homies NBA Mock Draft, the Oklahoma City Thunder select Mark Williams, center, Duke. So for me, you can say this is one of those picks where you're like, well, they already, you already took chat. Why would you take Mark Williams in the center? So here's my reasoning on this. We saw that some of the big concerns for chat 
where can he hold up as a five in the league? He has a small frame. I mean, he has a he's a long frame, but he has a thin frame, right? Got to put on weight. Got to get stronger. He can get bullied a little bit by the bigger guys, you know, the Jokic, the Yanis, the MB, those type of guys. But you're gonna see, you know, you're gonna see guys of that strength level and comparable on, on a every night basis. So for me, I'm taking the approach of the how Cleveland did it, where Cleveland said, okay, we are gonna shore up our front court, and it's gonna be our front court for the next decade. So we're going to have Mobley, who can play center. We're going to slide him over to the four, seven foot still. And we're going to have him be able to kind of be able to guard every position on the floor if he needs to be, move without the ball. He can roll to the rim, dunker spot type of guy. And then we have Allen's going to be our defensive anchor. He's also going to be good on the lob threat. He's going to block a lot of shots. He's going to take a lot of pressure off of Mobley in that first year and say, okay, don't worry about having to be our sole defensive force because we have Allen here. So I'm going to take a, a page out of Cleveland's book here, and I'm going to do the same thing with Mark Williams. So what I would do is I'm going to put – I'm going to have my starting lineup be uh, Giddy, Alexander, Dort, and I'm going to have Holmgren at the four, and I'm going to have Williams at the five. So what I'm going to do is this takes off a lot of the pressure from Holmgren of having to be an elite shot blocker of having to go up against those fives when he's might his body might not be ready yet. Mark Williams is seven foot two. He's got a nine foot nine standing reach. Seven foot five, seven foot six wingspan. This guy is an absolute beast. If you watched him in the tourney this year with Duke, uh he was probably their fourth, he was probably the number four option on that team, and he was an absolute monster. When he was out of the game, you saw how how uh deficient they were in the pick-and-roll game, how deficient they were cleaning up the boards. This guy is a monster. He has the strength to be uh, – I see of like a little bit of a Jared Allen type. To me, I see him more as a Robert Williams, Mitchell Robinson type of player, and I think that's a great fit for what you're looking for Oklahoma City. You don't need him to worry about scoring, play good defense. Have He has good post-up moves. He can back you down if he needs to. Great from a dunker spot. He's an automatic lob threat. And when you got a guy like the koala bear, Josh Giddy, who is a great playmaker, really good passer, can see the floor, great court vision. You got a guy like Mark Williams who you just toss it up, he, he throws it down. I mean, it's a match made in heaven for me. It takes a lot of pressure off your number two pick of Chet Holmgren. And you can just see that uh, Mark Williams, I was very impressed with him in the tournament. I thought he was probably Duke's best player after Banquero. And I thought that he was a guy that if you're looking for a big for me, he was one of my favorite players in this draft. Of the big, aside from Holmgren, if we're talking about true big, I'm talking seven-footers, this was the guy where I'm like, if you need a center or a center, if you have to move up to get him, you move up and get him because I know you know what you're going to get. Rock solid, protect the rim, lob threats, good shot blocker. He he's can basically be a Robert Williams type. And we saw with Boston how valuable Robert Williams, the third time lord, was to them. And when he went out, the defense slipped a little. Now, when you're thinking about having almost like a Twin Tower scenario or uh, um, like uh, Afro Thunder and Mobley, like I said, I took a page out of that book with Cleveland, and I think that it's kind of it would be a great fit for me. Maybe a bit unorthodox if you think about it on paper, but when you watch it in action with the type of players that they already have in Oklahoma City, it makes sense to me. You move Baisley up to the bench, he'd be a really good sixth, seventh man off the bench for you. He's obviously a spark plug. And I think this kind of saves him where if you have guys like Holmgren 
or Williams who need a break, you go ahead and you slide Baisley in there. But now, to me, we're set in the front court, all things considered, hopefully for the next decade. And you worry about, okay, I got playmakers, I got good defenders, I got guys who can shoot from everywhere on the floor, and I got a guy who's going to protect the rim, so we're not going to get bullied by some of the best centers in the league. So for me, Mark Williams was uh, a great fit. And now the Charlotte Hornets are now on the clock. All right. With the uh, number 13 pick of the 2022 Helmets, Hoops, and Homies mock NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select uh, Jeremy Sohan, uh, uh, forward from Baylor University. Um, with that uh, number 13 pick, uh, to me, this is all about, if you're the Hornets, filling a very obvious need, and that is defense. The Hornets need defense. I don't think that's a surprise to to me or you, homie. Um, probably not a surprise to anyone who pays attention to the NBA um, and has watched this team. They have some pretty elite um, offensive upside. They were one of the best offensive teams in the league. They were terrible at defense. They really don't have any one player I can point to and say, this is a really good defender. They, they, they have a lot of really good offensive players, but on the defensive side, they have nothing. And that's really what Sohan is bringing you. He's a pretty raw talent, raw prospect. Um, 6'9", 230, elite athlete. Um, he was a great defensive player in the limited minutes. He did play for um, Baylor, who were the defending national champions. Um, but, you know, Definitely not bringing that offensive skill right off the bat. He's not a great shooter. Now, he does have some good feel for the game inside. Um, he's He's been a pretty good finisher. He's been a, a pretty good passer, actually, as well, um, but just really can't shoot the ball. And I think if you're the Hornets, you have to be okay with that. you got um, some other guys who can really shoot it in Terry Rozier, in, um, you know, in, in – uh, Gordon Hayward, um, PJ Washington can even step out and hit it. Miles Bridges um, showed some some better three point range uh, this year. So you're really just going for a defensive player who you know he can you can plug him in anywhere. He can play um, the 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 kind of the kind of scouting report on this guy is he could potentially be like a one through five defender. Um, you know, in the vein of a, a Ben Simmons or a Draymond type of guy. So I think for them um, to get him at 13, to have a maybe, maybe you know, game changer defensive player, you you have to go for that. You're not, you're at the end of the lottery. Um, you're not probably going to get a superstar at the spot. So you have to fill a position of need um, and go with a guy um, in Sohan who can really make a difference on that end of the floor. Um, so that brings us to the final lottery pick of this mock draft. The, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers are on the board. With the 14th pick in the 2022 Helmets, Hoops, and Homies NBA mock draft, the Cleveland Cavaliers select Ochai Agbaji, forward, Kansas. So... Also here with Cleveland, I'm thinking about, okay, who's a good value pick for me? So the two guys that are on the board, I think that are probably the ones that are still sitting there that might be surprises, is Johnny Davis, who's a point, 
um, from Wisconsin, and also you're thinking about, okay, Ocha Agbaji. So for me, I went with Agbaji. Uh, Davis, I think, uh, when you have a team like Cleveland that already has the tin man, Darius Garland, I don't really think you need another point, a ball-dominant point. So it didn't make sense for me to go ahead with Davis. So I went with uh, Agbaji. I think he's a good swing man. He's a good, he's a good wing player. He's a, a really good spot-up shooter. He shot about 39%, almost 40% from three in college. He's a four-year starter in Kansas. He's a senior uh, defending national champion. They won the national title this year at Kansas, of course. And he's the type of guy that you just feel like he's got the, the experience and he's got the ability. He's kind of seen it all in college. You, you very rarely see uh, four-year players anymore or seniors come out in college and be the type of guy where you're like, wow, he can be a difference maker because they usually come out sooner than that. So for me, that's not a knock on him. I like that he has the experience to be able to do that. I like that he can definitely – he's a knockdown shooter. I think he can take off some of the pressure uh, from Garland of having to shoot. You already have your front court set. I think if you're going to have to try to kick the ball inside, if they double Mobley, he can kind of he can kind of kick it back out. He can kind of kick it back out, and he can just make sure that he can open up the floor for them. He can hit the three if he needs to hit it. And also if you think about a situation where – with Colin Sexton, you don't really know what you're getting with him. He's been he's been injured, and you kind of need some more help there on the on your wing positions. Uh, so I think while you're set in the front court, I think it makes sense to be able to take a guy like Agbaji, who's got the experience, who's got the shot making ability, and also he's a he's a solid defender too. He's got he's got a he's six about six six around there. He's got about a six ten wingspan. He's got the size to be an, an NBA small forward, but he's also got some good athleticism too. So you're not going to lose anything there. I think by the fact that he's usually uh, primarily an off the ball type of player is good when you have a, a point guard like Darius Garland, who's going to be uh, you know initiating the offense. He's also a good finisher. So I think if you have a guy where you can kick it out to the corner, he can hit that three for you. It makes sense for me. It also gives you a chance to maybe for him to create off the dribble a little bit. If he has to be, if he's handling the ball, I think he's a very efficient offensive player. And he's a type of guy where he's kind of improved uh, every year he's been at Kansas. And he's a lot more reliable off the catch than off the dribble. But one of the things is he can hit the mid-range as well. So if you're worried about him only being a three-point shooter, he doesn't have to do that also. Um, He can kind of fill the lane, a little bit of a lob threat. But he's also can slash a little bit too. Uh, I see kind of maybe... A little bit of a Sadiq Bay comp to me, maybe a little bit more than that, um, depending on what you're getting. But I really, I think this is a really good value pick, uh, based off of the guys who were kind of projected to still be here. It makes sense for me for Cleveland to kind of take some of the pressure off your two best players, of Garland and Mobley, and also give you some spot up and off the ball shooting. I mean, I'm always a big fan of guys who can move off the ball. So anytime you got a guy who's uh, been very, very consistent and efficient at that who also has the prototypical body to be a solid defender in the league it makes sense for me to go ahead and, and take him when i can so that was uh that's why i think agbaji is a uh, a solid pick i think for cleveland and a team that uh they're really building around their defense and he has the potential to to help that all right well there it is folks the uh lottery of the 2022 helmet hoops and homies uh nba mock draft uh has completed uh with the 14th pick 
Um, so yeah, that was, that was great. Um, I definitely think just off my notes, we were very aligned, uh, in terms of where guys were taken. I mean, I think our, our boards differed slightly, but, um, yeah, there's, there's definitely some, some picks that you made that, that stood out just, uh, to, to talk about. I mean, I think the number four pick we got to talk about that's, um, as you said, and, and, and lots of other folks have said is, is the draft starts at four, like the top three, we felt like was pretty set in stone. So at four, like what is Sacramento going to do? Um, I think going with upside, uh, was smart for them because like they just, they need a superstar. They have to have a superstar. Like that's, what's going to change the Kings. I think, um, you know, playoff woes. And like you said, Shaden Sharp was the top prospect in his high school class before he reclassified um, and then sat out a whole year at Kentucky. Um, you know, I think a lot of people had Ivy at number four, but I, I totally understand why you wouldn't take him. Like you got to just at a certain point, you have to stop taking point guards at a certain point. If you are the Sacramento Kings, you just have to, you have too many point guards. You've drafted point guards in the top 10, you know, four of the last, you know, six or seven years. So you, you have to go a different direction. And I think, yeah, sharp gives you that upside. Um, they were kind of lucky to get the, the number four pick in the first place. Like I think they were projected by lottery odds to like get in at number six. So I think if you're going with number four, take the highest upside guy. And there's no doubt in my mind that that's sharp. Um, so that definitely stood out to me. Um, the, I would say the other big one, I think we, you know, the King Curry pick for Indiana made perfect sense to me. Um, you taking Benedict Matherin at number eight, um, broke my heart because he's one of my favorite players in this draft. I wanted to get him onto the Knicks, but I don't think he's going to last that long. Um, I think he's a fantastic player. Um, for me, number 10, Washington, you taking AJ Griffin was a good pick. Um, a lot of people have been mocking Johnny Davis there because he's like kind of a bigger, more defensive, defensively proficient guard. But um, I don't know, like to me, Johnny Davis is like a, a point guard who plays a post-up style game. Uh, how will that translate to the NBA? Like at best, you're maybe a Sean Livingston guy, you know, who's a really, really helpful piece on a championship contender, but as like a seventh guy, sixth guy, eighth guy. Um, so, yeah, that was the other one. Griffin is, I think, widely considered the best shooter in this entire class. And if you're um, Washington, just getting someone who can really stretch the floor, I think besides Beal is really good. Um, I yeah, you're 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 taking Mark Williams at OKC. I didn't see that coming, but I definitely understand your logic. Have a bigger body under the basket to bang with the big centers. Um, so. Um, and then you have a massive, massive front court <laughs> with with Chet and Mark Williams. I mean, the wingspan there is like, uh, you know, can go to the moon. Um, so so I definitely see what you're doing. Um, so, yeah, I think overall, all, all your picks made a lot of sense to me. There was no one that was like, why did 
why did you do that? Like, what what a bad pick um, by any means. So, um, you know, uh, I will just shout out the two guys who I think were on my big board um, who did not get selected were Johnny Davis, as you mentioned, from Wisconsin. Um, you know, All-American for Wisconsin, but I think we both just have serious questions about how his game offensively translates to the NBA. The other name I had seen out there was Usman Deng uh, from the Australian League. Young guy, 6'10", 6'11", forward, who um, is kind of considered like maybe like a a point forward, right? Like a really good feel for the game, good passing, but very raw as a prospect. And, uh, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about, you know, Australian players drafted high in the draft, the... Um, the, I would say, batting average there is not super promising. Giddy might change that. Very well could change that. But, you know, going back, you had guys like Simmons and Andrew Bogut and, um, you know, guys of that ilk who, you know, I don't think we would say we're terrible NBA players, but haven't lived up to their number one hype. So, um, you know, I think we were probably both, you know, a little skeptical of another big raw Australian player who we, we, we just didn't know get that. That was the one thing I will say about Giddy is he was a very polished passer, um, really good control of the game. And I, I think that's what made the difference there, but yeah. What are your thoughts, homie? Anything that I did that surprised you, any picks, um, that you thought made particular sense or didn't make sense that I made? Yeah, I like um I like your picks. I like how you you kind of didn't just follow the norm a little bit. Like there were some picks that you made that mm-hmm. I think that were were taking uh, a bit of a chance on players, but I like that. I like that you're not just saying, "Well, I guess I'll have this person because I'm afraid to take a little bit of a risk." Because that's why I did with Shaden Sharp. He's probably the biggest risk in the draft, but it made sense to me. But I, I like how um you did take a couple of my guys off my board, which is I like that. I was like, "Okay, all right, see you, homie." So um, I think for me, just going through, aside from the top three, like I said, it's a given. Uh, I, I thought Ivy at five was an interesting one for me when you think about Cade Cunningham, but I think maybe if you pair them together, I kind of like how you, you kind of set that up where you can kind of have them be a pair. And Cunningham is a, he's a bigger point. You know what I mean? He's more in like the, uh, he's more of like the six, five ish range. He's not really the traditional point. So he's kind of, he's kind of breaks the mold there and having Ivy, uh, kind of not have to handle the ball handling duties too too much and be the be a two on there when he's a good scorer makes sense for me because there were some times at Purdue where I felt like him having to do it all kind of hurt him a little bit and that's why Purdue mm-hmm. got knocked off by the Peacocks in the mm-hmm. uh, in the tourney which was fun to see we loved that but uh, yeah so Ivy was definitely a guy I see a lot of people projecting him at four for the Kings and. Uh, he's a good player, but it doesn't make any sense to me. Like you said, there's got to be a point where you got to stop taking point guards if you're uh, the Kings. So that's why I went with a guy who's more of a two or three. Um, so I like that pick. Uh, Dyson Daniels was one. I was like, ooh, it's seven. Okay. Um, I had Dyson Daniels. He was, for me, he was kind of my pick for in the, I want to say in the 10, the 10-ish range, which he's kind of been all over there. So for me, I had Dyson Daniels starting at about number 10 for me. Um, And if he was still sitting there, depending on who went, he would have been in that lower lottery for me. But I like the pick. I think Dyson Daniels, we saw him play um, when he was in like the Rising Stars Challenge. I like what I see from him. 
a versatile type of player, and he's been definitely rising up a lot of draft boards. So I liked the pick there. I think Portland kind of has to make a little bit of a splash move for me, and that was a bit of a splash move for me, especially if you want to keep a guy like Damian Lillard happy and you want to keep him like, okay, we're being secure here. We're getting you, we're getting you a guy who's a, who's a solid playmaker. It makes sense to me to go ahead and do that. Uh, Jalen Duran was probably maybe the biggest surprise for me because I was going into this assuming that if I was a Spurs, I would probably keep Pirtle. But I like the way that you laid it out where you're like, well, now you don't have to worry. You can kind of move on from Pirtle, go really young when you got a guy like DeJounte Murray who's kind of coming into his own already. You know what I mean? I want to say he was uh, he was in the top three for most improved player this year. And uh, he had a really good season. He was an all-star, first-time all-star this year. You had you saw that coming. So so love to you on that. Um, I, I like the move. I think it makes sense if you're kind of – you're still kind of in that phase where you're like, are we rebuilding? Because we're always like in the bottom of the plan, but we don't really do anything with it. And that's no shade at the Spurs. It's just saying like we got Murray who's going to be our building piece probably now, but to have a guy – we can go younger, maybe move Pirtle for some more assets, maybe get some more scoring, I think, or some more explosiveness or uh, playmaking. I think you can maybe move Pirtle for that for a team uh, that really needs a, a big, it needs a center, you know what I mean? So that makes sense for me to maybe go ahead and do that, maybe expedite the process a year or two early. Uh, it makes sense to go ahead and do that. Um, another one, the, the other biggest surprise for me was Ty Ty Washington for your Knicks. I was just like, um, for me, looking at the Knicks, I'm like, well, I agree with you. They definitely need a real – they definitely need a point guard. The Knicks have been searching for a point guard for – it feels like forever already. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and it's just like, when are they going to get one? So I like that you kind of reach into the bag and you're like, you know what? I'm going to take a swing. I'm going to swing for the fences on this guy. Uh, he, I mean, we, I know you love IQ, but I agree with you. Maybe it would be better to put him at the two. You know what I mean? Burks wasn't really working. Unfortunately for Kemba, it looks like he's still kind of getting back from injury. But, I mean, it just it just seems like Derrick Rose is always hurt, which, you know, we get it. So it seems like, you know, maybe take a, a chance on a guy who can be your point for the next few years. So it makes sense for me there because if you're thinking about – you could say, oh, well, maybe Johnny Davis could be the pick there. Like I said, I agree with you, homie. Like, I have I have some serious – like, he's probably of the, of the guys who are going to go in the lottery. He's probably the guy who – Aside from maybe Sohan when it comes to his offense, uh, I have a lot of questions about Johnny Davis and how he's going to translate in the NBA. Um, you know, he's a pretty solid mid-range shooter, but I don't, I'm trying to see on defense. I'm trying to think. It looks to me like he could get cooked on defense. You know what I mean? And also, is he consistent enough as a shooter and a scorer to be relevant in the NBA? You know what I mean? I'm not saying he's not going to be a good player because he very well could be. We see him, he's doing that Taco Bell commercial, you know what I mean? So I'm happy for I'm happy for him, you know what I mean? Uh, where he leaves the draft to go get a, a, a chalupa or whatever it is. So, I mean, I'm happy for him, you know what I mean? I am. And like I said, he's All-American at Wisconsin. He's a good player, he is. There was talks maybe he would stay, but he came out. Um, and it makes sense, he's going to go lottery. But for me, um, I kind of I kind of prefer somebody who I feel is a bit more, less question marks to me uh, at the point. You know what I mean? Because the point, you could still argue, might be the most important position in basketball. And you could say, oh, well, he's kind of a two as well. He can... I'm just like, well, at the NBA, to me, I see him as a point guard. And to me, I still have some questions about him. Like I said, he could be an amazing player. And I wish him all the best. 
I just for me, I have some question marks, and for me, I would probably wait till outside the lottery to take him. But I don't think he's gonna last that long. So like, if, I mean, even if he was like, if I'm thinking about, uh, if it wasn't Cleveland at 14, you know what I mean? And I was a team that needed a point, then I would definitely take a shot on him. But at Cleveland, you don't need a point. You know what I mean? You need a wing. So that's why I didn't do it. So that's my logic there. So I like the Ty Ty Washington one. Uh, a lot of the we've been having some luck with the Kentucky guards. You know. They've been having some guys who are pretty solid. I mean, obviously, you think about SGA, who's going to be an all-star sooner rather than later. You know what I mean? You got uh, your guy IQ and people like that. You know what I mean? So it makes sense to get another Kentucky guy with IQ on the team. So I like that. And uh, I think about um, – so for Sohan, like I said, I had concerns about him. There's talks maybe he'll go to OKC, and you could say, well, he'll bring defense. But to me, that's why I like the the more the secure the front court move for the next decade. But I like him as a pick on Charlotte. I think that was a really good pick on your part because on Charlotte, who cares if he's not a good offensive player right now? You don't. The last thing you need is more offense. You need a defender. You need a guy who can say, okay, nobody else is defending. Throw him in there. Lock up the best guy for 20 minutes a game or more, and we're going to be good. Like bother his shot. You know, what I mean, he can do that. We've seen that. He's kind of an irritant and a pest, and we like those kind of guys. So he can be that type of player. Like, who cares that he's not polished even remotely offensively? The last thing Charlotte needs is that they need defense. So it makes sense when you take him there. So that was a great pick, I thought, there. It makes a lot of sense. So um, I, those, I really liked your picks, Tommy. I like how you kind of uh, went outside the norm for some of them. And for me, you, you talked about who's somebody who, uh, outside the draft, that you thought was interesting. So for me, one of the most interesting players, I'm interested to see where they, they fall, is a um, uh, Marjan Beauchamp, who's a, a guard slash forward from the G League Ignite. Uh, I really like him. I think he's probably one of the players that I would um, I want to see him go to a good situation. He's about six five ish, and he's kind of like a rangy type of wing player. I mean, he's got some good upside as a defender. I think he definitely has to. Um, he went the junior college route, so he's got a lot of experience at least playing at the college level in that regard. It's the type of guy where he's got a big wingspan, you know, I love that. Very athletic. I see him as a type of guy where he's a fluid athlete. Like, he does a good job on both ends of the floor, and he's getting better on offense. So I think he's already kind of a solid player. You can kind of plug and play whether you bring him off the bench or not. But he can be a dude that you can get you what you need to do on both ends. You're not going to sacrifice neither end where he can't hit a shot or he can't stay in front of his man. So I see him as a little bit of that. I see him as kind of like a, a smaller – uh, a smaller Kuminga, not as athletic, not as explosive, but a little bit like that. I see him as kind of like that type of player um, where he can be – he's rangy, he's long. He's not really as much, as much as of a, an athletic freak as Kuminga is, but he's still very explosive and athletic. So I see him as possibly that, and you saw if you land in a good situation, that could be beneficial. So I do really like Marjan Beauchamp. We saw him as well in the Rising Stars Challenge. And we saw a lot of the – it really helped uh, me when I was looking at some of these guys from the G League because it's really hard to watch G League games. So All-Star Weekend definitely helped us out there, at least for me especially, to see guys like Dyson Daniels who you don't really see. And you know what I mean? And Bullshop and these other guys out there who you don't get a chance to do that. So uh, those are my thoughts. But, uh, yeah, what about uh, uh, you, homie? Was there any guys that were on your board aside from uh, Matherin – with the with your Knicks that you just said, oh, he took my guy. You did that to me a couple of times. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I really liked, you know, I I really like Keegan Murray. He's he's a guy who 
Um, I had considered taking him at number five with Detroit. Um, I think he would, I think he would fit in anywhere. So he was one besides Matherin who you took that I was like, ah, like, you know, obviously Chet at number two. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think, uh, I was planning on taking Mark Williams for Charlotte at number 13. So when you took him, I was like, oh, well I got to get them some defense somewhere. And it seems like Sohan maybe has the most upside on that side. Um, but yeah, I would say like Keegan Murray was a guy I'm really high on. I think will be really good to me. He kind of reminds me of like, um, maybe like a mix between like an Al Horford and a Paul Millsap, like good defensive, you know, big defensive fours who uh, give you some passing, give you some offense, you know, you don't probably don't want them to be your number one option, but you know, they're going to help you out on both sides of the ball and, you know, not make stupid mistakes and, you know, not maybe not like what we would consider the most athletic guys, but just very fundamentally sound. So um, yeah, he was, he was the one. Um, I think it is. I, I am curious. You kind of mentioned uh, Beauchamp from the, the G League team. I'm very curious to see how many G League guys go right now. There's at least three um, mocked to go in the first round with Dyson Daniels, um, Beauchamp, as you mentioned, but also Jaden Hardy, who is a really high high school prospect coming out of his class. And I think had an up and down G League um, year. But what we saw last year was Jalen Green and Kuminga both also, I think, had up and down G League careers. And it's still very clearly, I think, helped, helped both those guys. And I think we both agree both guys have bright futures. So, um, yeah, just, just curious to see. Like, this seems like a draft that has more traditional college players, even like, you know, even like sophomores and juniors who – I'm thinking higher about, I tend to be higher about those guys in general. Like I think I would rather take a guy who is shown to be an all American in college than some 18 year old with super high upside for, for a, a, a lot of the time, not, not necessarily, but that's usually how I feel. And that's why like, you know, guys like, um, you know, our guy, um, um, uh, Dosumu on Chicago, like he was a guy I really liked. Um, Jalen Brunson, you know, another guy I liked, you know, just guys who are considered older dudes who maybe don't have the same amount of upside. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out who the guys, who those guys are in this draft. I think Murray is one of them. Um, you know, maybe Johnny Davis shocks us and ends up being, being one of them. He's a sophomore. Um, but yeah, so so just you know, your guy uh, Akbashi, who you took at number fourteen, is an upperclassman. So, and I definitely think he can he can do well too. So, just kind of curious to see who pops and who doesn't overall. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to the draft. Uh, it's it's my favorite of the four major sports here in North America draft. I like the NBA draft the most. It's the most fun to me, uh, and I'm looking forward to. It. And this was a lot of fun. I definitely. I uh, hope we can do it again next year. Uh, I had a really good time with it. I like to talk in, uh, talk in prospects with you. I really like to uh, get your perspective on on the guys and what you value and in terms of team building. It kind of really makes you have to think about the job that a lot of these GMs and team presidents have to do when they're putting these rosters together. And it makes you it makes you appreciate what they do and not say, oh well, this person made a bad pick. That was a bad trade. Yeah, but there's often times where sometimes you can see things. For 
how it ended up and not necessarily what was the logic going into it. You know what I mean? Now for the Kings, I am really interested on draft night to see what the Kings do. I've I've heard some projections where they actually trade back to six and uh, with Indiana and Indiana takes Jaden Ivey, which makes sense to me. Like I said, if Ivey was sitting there, if you didn't take him at five, I was going to snatch him at six. If it's a, it makes sense to take him there. But so I've seen that. But I mean, I, I think if you're the Kings, I, you, you kind of got to swing for the fences here. Like you, you got to get this pick right. And you could say, oh, then why would you take Shaden Sharp? He's the biggest risk. But like you said, they need a superstar. And I think Shaden Sharp can be that. If you're confident that you have the coaching staff with uh, now with uh, Al Roker, our guy um, Mike Brown, who I think is a good he's a he's a good coach. I think he's a really solid guy. He's coached you know the basketball baron and other stars, so he knows how to kind of work those personalities a little bit. You know what I mean? So I, I think if you're if you're confident that he can be that they can create a good environment there in Sacramento now, then I think you go ahead and do that. But that's the team that I feel like is the most interesting to me, uh, aside from the Thunder, of course, because I love the Thunder. But uh, is the Kings? Like, where do they go here? And like you said, if they take Ivy again, I've heard a lot of talk of them taking Ivy, and I just, like I said, no knock on him. I think he's a very good player, but I just don't see the fit. You know what I mean? Like, like how often can you take a point? But, but what do you think, Homer? Like, who, what, what's the team that you think is uh, maybe the most intriguing to you? And what's and, and give me your thoughts again about uh, about the Kings. Like I feel like they got to get this right. What do you think? Yeah, I mean they they do. Um, you know they made some their move last year to trade um, to trade Halliburton for um, for uh, Sabonis. I think we both didn't really get that move just because Halliburton at the time did seem like their steadiest prospect. But that being said, like when they, as soon as they traded for Sabonis, Fox started to play much better. And to me that showed like, okay, like splitting ball handling duties with another kind of high usage point guard, like wasn't working for him. Having a big who can kind of make life easier on him seemed to make a difference. Um, in Sabonis and Sabonis is, is if nothing else can do that, you know, like distract a lot of guys down low and open up space for some of his perimeter players. And so I just felt like bringing in Ivy would just be making that same mistake again of like, Oh, let's try to put two point guards together again. And, you know, with Mitchell, like he's also a guy who probably is going to need the ball in his hands quite a bit, but he at least can play like really good off ball defense he, I think he can be a good spot up shooter. Um, he showed some some good shooting touch his his uh, final year at Baylor, so it just didn't it just didn't make sense to me. Um, if I was them, you know, like I was thinking, like who would I take at that spot? And it would have been between Sharp and Murray. Like I was not going to take Ivy there. So, it, and it was it was very much the, the age old debate of like, do you go with upside and you know you know potential or do you go with like a safe pick in Murray who, you know, will he ever be an all-star? Probably not, but you know, maybe, you know, is, is adding some of that preliminary or that, um, that, that kind of like, you know, the, the, the role, role player skills, you know, um, hustle defense, 
hitting open shots, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm very curious to see where they go here. Um, I've heard they're trying to trade the pick, which I think would also make sense depending on who they can get. Um, but yeah, I think they, they really need to try to either, you know, just, just pick for a a position of need or for upside because it's, it's, um, yeah, they, they got to make a splash somehow. And, and I think Fox and Sabonis are promising, but you need, you know, more, more production around those two guys clearly. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how, where, where I land, um, in terms of like other teams I'm interested to watch, I don't know. I would say I'm, I'm interested to see like who new Orleans and Cleveland take, um, because I think there are both teams that are like made a big leap this year and, you know, Cleveland didn't make it out of the play and new Orleans did, but they both probably feel pretty good about their core pieces. Um, you know, um, both teams have their kind of top three, top four guys set and just could use like some guys who can help them right now. And so I'm, I'm especially interested to see where those teams go because they did land in the lottery, but still have, you know, significant upside, even just with, the teams they had last year. So those would be the teams to me that are most interesting. Um, but yeah, homie, any, any final thoughts on the draft before we uh, close out with our, our other segments? No, just want to say it was a lot of fun, had a good time doing it and looking forward to watching it on Thursday. For sure. Um, well, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and, uh, you know, cruise on into our final segments. Uh you know, we have everybody's favorite segment uh, coming up first, uh, our slime ball of the week. Um, so, yeah, we definitely went off a bit last week on a couple guys. Um, and, yeah, we, we have some prime candidates this week again as well. Um, so, homie, I'll let you kick this one off. Who, who do you have as your slime ball of the week this week? Okay, so I have a few, but I'm only going to really talk about one. So uh, Rob Parker, again, is acting the fool. I sent him this video. I don't know why YouTube recommending these videos to me because they drive me insane. Maybe that's why they do it. Um, but it was basically him talking about how Stevie Curry would not be this highly regarded if it wasn't for Kevin Durant, which I think is watching this last series is absolutely insane. It's just like one of the comments said, it's just like he's, he's going to the Skipper Bayless school of hot takes where it's just <laughs> – you know, you can't admit that you're wrong, so you're just going to keep being wrong because you're so stubborn. So there's that. So he's on there. Um, one other one is uh, Kenny Atkinson uh, for what he did, which uh, I have intel that you're going to talk to us about that, so I won't get into that until you go. <laughs> I'll let you have that one. But he made the list. But for me, the one I really want to talk about is uh, I'm going to go with the, the Utah Jazz here. And it's not because they're basically uh, – a train wreck right now and they're probably gonna have to trade their two best players their coach left because he couldn't deal with it anymore um it's, it's because they had a big announcement yesterday that i saw where they announced they introduced as they said up, updated color scheme with a new set of uniforms now i saw these last night late and i was like you know what i'm gonna wait until the next day to send these to, to patrick because these are awful um, so they have four new uniforms. The first one, uh, I do really like, it's kind of the, uh, the purple mountains majesty. I like to call it, which is the ones that they had back mm-hmm. in the late nineties when they were in the finals. Like I always think of like, uh, 
uh, John Stockton and Byron Russell rocking those, which I think they're pretty dope. I do like those. Um, they have that throwback feel to me. So they're bringing those back, and that's going to be their main one, which I like. But the other three are just no, no lie. Like They're probably the, some of the worst I've seen in the league. They're bad. It's just because they're so boring. So one of them is just black with yellow. Another one is all yellow with black. And another one is white with yellow around the collars with the music note on it in like a blackish gray, it looks like. They're extremely bland, boring. Like there's no hype to give to these. Like I don't see how anybody would be like, oh, I got to have that. I'm talking about like, I'm thinking back to the days because, you know, me and you, we love jerseys and logos and stuff like that. These are probably some of the most boring choices I could have possibly get. I mean, last year, even the ones where they had like the, you know, like the orange and the yellow and the red, kind of like the sunset looking ones, not to be confused with the Nuggets Rocky Mountain sunset, but you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like the fading horizon type of looking yeah. one. Those were okay. Yeah. I mean, those were all right and they weren't bad, but these ones are just terrible. They're so boring. Uh, so, I mean, I just want to, I had to slime them for this. This is, they're making a big thing. They had Jordan Clarkson uh, kind of be on their video. I did watch it. It was just like an intro to him wearing them and showing off. And I'm like, it was kind of funny that they didn't pick Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert to last <laughs> these because they probably won't be there next year. And they didn't want to make a fool out of themselves. So they picked Jordan Clarkson, who was probably going to be there, which made me laugh. I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. Uh, don't pick the two best players because they're going to be traded because they don't want to play there anymore probably. And your team's on your team's on fire right now, uh, not in a good way. So, uh, I laughed at that, but yeah, they, they really stink. Like I'm just disappointed. I'm like, this is this is a big announcement: a yellow jersey and a black jersey, like bumblebee colors, which I don't see how that what has to do with jazz music. And then a music note, a bland music note. It looks like if you look at a music sheet where it's just like white paper with a black note on it. That's what it looks like. It's terrible. So, I mean, aside from the Purple Mountains one, which I do really like, I'm glad they went back to that, and I always wondered why they didn't. The other three are awful. So the Utah Jazz, I don't know what you were thinking, but uh, you're my main slime ball of the week. Yeah, that was a good one. When you when you first sent those to me, I was <laughs> I looked at it, and I was like, oh, the Purple Mountain Majesty. Like, I like that one. That's great. And I was like, oh, yeah, like maybe they'll go back to that like theme or whatever uh, this year. And then I looked at the next three and I was like, oh, <laughs> like you just like picked the most boring jerseys you can imagine. Like they're they're as boring as like the Brooklyn Nets jerseys. Like it's literally just like you said, black on or gold numbers on black jersey or black numbers on gold jersey or a little gold and then white and black. And to me, like the jazz really just need to kind of figure out what their colors are. They change like all the time, <laughs> like for a little, like this last, like, I guess like eight to 10 years, it's been like the blue green gold type of thing. But then sometimes they wear the sunset colors and then it's just, it's just incoherent. Um, I think like, I don't know. I feel like they should just go back to Mardi Gras colors. Like if you're going to be called the jazz, which we both agree doesn't make any sense, <laughs> at least like go jazz themed. Like I can't think of something less jazzy than black and white and gold. <laughs> like it's the most boring, least like creative thing I've ever heard. So it's, it's just, it's, 
you know, they, they had jerseys I wasn't crazy about to begin with, and then they made them worse. Um, now, unless they wear, like, the Purple Mountain Majesty jersey, like, half the time, then I'd be cool with that. Those are those are baller. I love those. But all the, the rest of them stunk. And it was just, like, seeing the Purple like Mountain Majesty, like, lined up with the other ones. It's, like, one of these things is, like, one of them is interesting and, like, cool and vibrant. And the other three are just, like, boring. So, yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Those stink. Uh, terrible jerseys. And, yeah, like the fact that they have, like, <laughs> they had to turn to Jordan Clarkson <laughs> to, like, model them for them because they, like, know that Gobert, like, Snyder's gone, Gobert's probably gone, Mitchell's probably gone. Um, Clark, even Clarkson, he has one year on a steal. Like, he probably won't be there at the end of the year. So um, that was that was pretty funny. Um, yeah, any 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 more thoughts about the the horrid jazz uniforms before I give you my slime ball? I just gotta say uh, you would appreciate this. They stink. <laughs> they do stink. That's very true. Um, well, my slime ball is one you gave us a little uh, sneak preview on. Um, running through some of the slimy guys this week. Um, I have to, I have to, for the sake of my own honor, I have to give the slime ball of the week to Kenny Atkinson. So those of you uh, who listened to last week's episode will note that I picked him as my homie of the week um, because I thought it was a really good pick. I thought the fit um, of him on the hornies, like, you know, going to a team that, you know, needs to kind of get over the hump, needs some better defensive infrastructure, um, they have some young players upside. I think he showed the Nets um, that he could do that. Um, but this morning, news broke that Atkinson had a apparent change of heart and will not go, be going to coach the Hornets, will rescind his offer or his, his yeah, the offer that the, the Hornets gave him, and will stay on the bench for the Golden State Warriors. Um, so to me, you know, I would say I'm not someone who necessarily is going to criticize someone for, you know, doing another year of being an assistant coach necessarily. But in this case, you were announced as the new head coach. It's like when Josh McDaniels was announced as the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts uh, and then decided like, no, actually I'm going to go back to New England. Like it's just slimy. Like they, they did a whole like big like announcement for you. Um, people were really excited for you to be there. And then all of a sudden the team you're an assistant coach on wins the finals. And it's like, oh, never mind. I'm going to stay here. Um, to me, that was just like, it seemed like a knee jerk reaction. Like he was probably very emotional from, you know, all the celebrations surrounding the finals. And he knows like the Charlotte gig is going to be harder. But to me, it just, you don't walk out of an offer like that when it's been verbally announced by the team and by everyone. Um, now you're ma you're putting this team, the, the Charlotte in, in a tricky position where they have to go back and figure out who they're going to hire now. Um, you know, having, you know, been, um, you know, that have having multiple coaches who are now off the market, you know, like Mike Brown went to Sacramento and, you know, other, other kind of positions, um, you know, have been filled and it just, it just is a bad position to put this team in and it hurts your reputation as a coach. Like, are you going to get offered a head coaching gig now? 
I don't know. Like now the team's going to be like, well, is he going to walk out on us too? Um, so it's just a slimy thing to do. Uh, no one really, uh, you know, it's, it's a crappy culture we live in where people, you know, you don't feel like you can take people at their word. Really? You don't like, I, I certainly don't, I don't feel like you can really even trust people to follow up on things they've promised to. And so this is just another representation of that. Um, you know, just walking out on an agreement that you made, um, even if it wasn't technically like written in contracts, like you, the, the word was out there that you were coaching the Hornets, you agreed to the job, they agreed to the job, they were just working out, you know, the contract and the details, and then you walk out on it. And so to me, that's just like a really scummy move. Um, and yeah, like, I, I don't, I don't know if it's going to really help him in the long run to get another job. And now the the Hornets are in a really tough position. So, yeah, I know, homie, that that struck the wrong chord with you, too. So uh, anything to add there? Yeah. So before I launch on this. (laughs) um, No, yeah, it really it really angered me. Like Deuce is obviously our hoops hot stove guy. And he's definitely he's been working behind the scenes for listeners. He's been sending us a lot of (laughs) hoops hot stove. He, He takes his job very seriously. And we love him for it. Um, yeah, really, I was just doing some finalizing some draft prep for our episode. And I saw that. And it really ticked me off. I'm not going to lie, to be real with you. Um, like you said, I agree with everything you said, homie. And also, it really bothers me, too, because now I'm thinking about, well, the one thing, the first thing I thought about was the last guy you kind of want to screw over is his airness. Because we saw if anybody's seen The Last Dance or watch MJ's career. You know how he is, and he's just like, yo, you don't, you don't do me like that. You know how Michael Jordan is. So I agree with you. I don't know if, if Atkinson's going to be getting another head coaching job anytime soon because I feel like uh, Jordan might make a call and be like, nah, you don't want to take this guy. You know what I mean? Don't do it. And he's got a lot of sway, you know what I mean, as a player and obviously he's an owner now. So I think that, so I think that he kind of picked the wrong guy to cross when it comes to that. And also the second thing that was almost like very alarming to me was is Charlotte going to have to take, are they going to hire Mike D'Antoni now? And that was like one of my biggest fears is like, it's, I just don't know why they don't see it. Like how me and you can see it. It's a terrible fit. It makes zero sense to me. He, he He's, he's traditionally known for his teams. Don't play any defense. And the problem and why James Borrego got fired was because his team did not play defense for two years and got blown out in both play in games. So you're going to bring in a guy who, he wins in the regular season, but his teams don't play defense. That doesn't. I don't see how that helps you. How does Mike D'Antoni get a guy like Lamelo Ball to buy in on defense? I just don't see it. And if they make that move, then I'm going to keep it real. Then I'm going to have to call the Hornies. They're going to be my slime ball next week. I'm going to just set it now because it's a horrible hire. I think what you need to do now is you go back to the drawing board, and I think you you bring in some some fresh faces. I mean, Atkinson, I, I like the fit, but he don't want to be there. He wants to ride Steve Kerr's coattails, and so be it. You know what I mean? Uh, Mike Brown to me has a much harder job in Sacramento than than uh, uh, than Atkinson would have in Charlotte. I'm not saying it's an easy job because no NBA head coaching job is easy, but you know what I mean? Like Mike Brown's kind of kind of build it from the the ground up here. Like Charlotte just has to play better defense and they'll be you know a better team. You know what I mean? So I think it's one of those situations. And also, it's a good job, so I don't really know why he'd walk away from it. It's not like he's going, like I said, to a team that's just you know, they, they won 20 games last year. This is a team that's been the playing back-to-back years with some all-star caliber talent. You know what I mean? So 
I, I'm not really understand it, but also it's a situation where I think you you kind of I think you definitely give a call to Quinn Snyder. He's a guy who, if you want a veteran, but I think you I I think you make a call to some fresh faces. I think you call Adrian Griffin from Toronto. I think you give him a call. Uh, I wanted Darvin Ham for this job. I thought would have been a good fit. He's obviously with the Lakers now, and uh, he's going to need all the help he can get there. <laughs> Poor guy. So I think uh, and that's no shade at him. I, I hope I wish him the best. It's just kind of sad that he's in this very very difficult situation they're in right now. And I w- I do wish him the best. I do like Darvin Ham a lot. Um, so I think you, I think I think Sam Cassell. I don't know why he's not getting any love for head coaching job. I think he's the type of guy where he was kind of a really uh, intense high motor point. He's obviously he's an NBA champion. He knows what it takes to be good. He played in this. He played with KG in Minnesota. You know what I mean? I think he, if anybody can get uh, Lamelo to kind of have more of a higher motor, I think he could be the type of guy to influence them. He's been with Glenn Rivers for a while in Philly. I don't know why he's getting no love, but I mean, yeah, there's a lot of guys out there that I think deserve a chance. I mean, I'm a big Mo Cheeks guy from the Bulls. He was obviously the Blazers coach for a while. I don't know if he'll ever get a job again, but if you want another veteran guy. Uh, there's lots of there's lots of people out there who I think would be a good head coach that aren't really getting talked about. There's not a lot of openings so far. I don't know if we're gonna have any anymore. But to me, it just kind of seems like, you know, there's there's a couple vets out there. But there's a couple bringing some fresh blood. You got a young team, really energetic. You know what I mean? Very uh, um, popular team in terms of what they're. You know, obviously they got a guy Cardiac Collins and stuff like that. Got Del Curry doing the color. I mean, they're a very popular team. They've been popular since the '90s. Where everybody was rocking the starter jacket with Charlotte, you know what I mean? So you maybe want to bring in a fresh guy, some guy who's never been a head coach before. It makes sense to me. But uh, uh, who are some guys you think, Comey, that uh, that uh, you'd, you'd give a call? Let's say you're you're Mitch Kupchak or you're you're Michael Jordan, and you're like, okay, I got to kind of rebuild this whole bridge here. How who would you who would you call? Who are some guys you call right away? I'd cast a wide net. I would call Quinn Snyder. Uh, one of the first I'd call, I'd call Jay Wright, the former coach of Villanova, who retired there recently. Um, you know, I think he is an excellent coach and has coached some, some like always, you know, there's always some good Villanova guys in the draft. So those two guys, um, I think Sam Cassell is a really good one. He's been on the sideline for some some really good teams and I think has absorbed a lot of knowledge and was a heady player when he played back with you know the Rockets and the T-Wolves so um I would definitely consider those three guys and then yeah like I'm I'm not as plugged in about like assistant coaches but I would just scour those benches and look for guys coming from you know strong organizations who will know how to kind of set a tone organizationally because I I do think if you're Charlotte like you know, for as as they have Lamelo Ball, you know they have MJ as their president, which you know should be a, a point in their favor. But they just haven't really shown, you know, that they can, you know, set a good culture there. Like you know, even when Clifford was there, it was like they were never that good. And so I just think you need to kind of, yeah, you need a culture builder. So um, if that's Jay Wright, great. Um, if it's a guy like Cassell, starting fresh. I think that's good, but yeah, you need some new some new voices in that in that in that um, organization for sure. I think a couple of guys too that, that kind of stood out to me was uh, Shaheen Holloway, who just took the Seton Hall job, so he's not uh-huh. going anywhere. A guy like yeah. that, I think. I mean, that type of mentality, I think, uh, or also, I know he'll never he won't leave. He just got there, but I think at the very least, you got to at least make a phone call, especially with the the Carolina connection. 
uh, you give Hubert Davis a call. You know, what I mean, if, if you say, "Hey, Hubert, yeah. uh, uh, Michael Michael Jordan's on line one," uh, he's gonna take the call. You know what I mean? Even if he's happy at North Carolina, he's gonna at least have a conversation with you for a few minutes and say, "No, I'm good." But you gotta at least make the call. It makes sense. You know what I mean? So I mean, mm-hmm. like you said, cast a wide net. But uh, it's it's very unfortunate. I just I'm really really hoping Char doesn't say, "Okay, we'll just take our second pick." Like this this could be maybe. A blessing in disguise and maybe you know reignite your your search like start from scratch again because obviously if don tony was your guy you would have hired him you know what i mean so why would you say well i guess i'll take my second pick no maybe there's somebody who's better which i mean i think there is because i don't like the fit I'm not saying he can't be a head coach i just think it's a horrible fit for this team but um we'll see what happens i hope they do the right thing and uh disappointed in atkinson i don't know why you'd you would just uh want to not be the top guy you know what i mean it doesn't really make sense to me like nah i'll just stay here and let's see if Kerr, you know be his 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 assistant which is fine but i mean a lot of guys are like fighting we see in the coaching ranks in a lot of sports they're just like man i can't even get an opportunity to get an offer and you got guys like this turning it down it just blows my mind so yeah for sure um it, it was definitely a confusing Confusing decision at the very least. So we'll see if any more news comes out about that and if there's anything specific that went down. But it does sound like he's kind of just riding the high of this, you know, championship win by the Warriors. So we'll see how that all plays out. But yeah, why don't we why don't we uh close things out with our, our final segment, homie? Yeah, so uh we're gonna do our, our homie of the week, which is opposite and the end on the opposite of slime ball. We're gonna end on a positive note like we like to do. So how many a week is a person, place, or thing, something that we think uh, deserves some love, we want to give some some uh, some props to, that we want to congratulate, or that we're just really happy about, that we want to give a shout-out to. So since you had me start off with uh, the slime ball, how about you kick off the homie of the week segment, Pat? Yeah, sure. So I'm going to keep mine short and sweet because I think there's only one option this week for the homie of the week. Um, that's our guy, uh, Stefan, Stevie Showstopper Curry, um, you know, really just turning in a hell of a, uh, not only a hell of a finals, a hell of a playoff run, a hell of a year. I mean, he was the MVP front runner, if lest we forget, you know, halfway through the year. So he's had an amazing uh, season for a guy at age 34, a guy who, you know, when he was 25 or 26, we were kind of wondering, you know, is, 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 is this guy like, is this what we're getting? And then he kind of completely, you know, changed the trajectory of his career. So we talked a little bit, we talked quite a bit about what Stevie did earlier in the show. So I'm not going to go on too much, but to say he is deserving is an understatement. Um, there's no other guy I, I, I even considered at any point throughout the last week. So it's got to be Steph Curry, um, finals MVP. Nice. Um, so just to be real, uh, this was the easiest homie of the week decision I think I've ever had in the 25, or we haven't been doing it that long, but in all the episodes we've been doing, this is the easiest one ever. And I also have uh, Stefan, or I should say Wardell Stefan Curry II. <laughs> Wardell. <laughs> going his going his full name. Uh, Stevie Showstopper, as I like to call him. Um, well-deserved. I mean, like I said, there was nobody I could have picked better. We could have picked better for the... Uh, Homie of the week, like we said, just to uh, give his numbers real quick from the finals, he was 31.2 points, six rebounds, five assists, two steals, 48% shooting from the field, 
almost 44% from three. He had uh, a 40-point game, three 30-point games, a 29-point game. His worst game was 16 points. Um, played good defense, not really many turnovers. One of his first finals MVP, one of the best players of all time. So, I mean, uh, well-deserved. Stevie Curry, we're very happy for you. Congratulations on your title, your finals MVP. Um, so with that, homie, I didn't know you were going to have Stevie Curry as your as your homie. I thought you were, but uh, he is now at uh, – we got a little bit of a decision to make here. So he's now at four selections for homie of the week. So now that he is at four for homie of the week, he is eligible for the Hall of Homies. So I'm going to go ahead and give you the vote first. It has to be obviously a majority, so we both have to agree since there's just the two of us this week. Uh, uh, Stevie Curry, do you say yes? Should he be inducted as the first inductee into the Helmet Suits and Homies Hall of Homies? Uh, yeah, definitely, easily. Um, there's he's he's a worthy first uh, inductee into the Hall. Um, I don't think you know you you kind of mentioned like people who hate S- Steph Curry. It's like people who hate Giannis. It's like what is wrong with you? <laughs> like these guys are both like amazing generational players who are like nice, humble guys. Like, I I just don't, I don't get it. I I couldn't possibly understand how someone could dislike either guy. So um, yeah, that's an easy decision. Now, you know, it would be different if he was, you know, had, you know, if it was Kyrie Irving, if he, if, you know, he had some stuff on the side that I was like, hold on, what? You believe the earth's flat? Like, hold up. <laughs> um, but Steve, Stevie, no, um, great, seems like a great guy. Ever, all his teammates love him. Uh, I don't really know anybody um, besides guys who are trying to, you know, get their own attention drawn to them. Um, you know, would would hate on these guys. Uh, that that's just clown territory to me. So, um, yeah, easy easy induction uh, for me. Yeah. So just to keep it short, I agree 100. percent Welcome to the Hall of Homies, Stephen Curry. Uh, we're proud to have you as the first inductee ever. So it's been a it's been a big uh, couple episodes for us. Uh, we yeah, had our first we had our first Hall of Slime member last week. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Steve, two yeah, Steves. We, yeah, two yeah two Stevies, Uncle Steve and Stevie. <laughs> so it's a uh, the irony is hilarious, not lost on us. So yeah, no. so <laughs> uh, Stevie Curry, congrats! Welcome to the Hall of Homies. We're glad to have you. Um, yeah, so that's going to go ahead and do it for our show this week. Uh, I had a lot of fun, homie. Uh, it's always fun talking hoops with the Hoops Guru. Uh, looking forward to doing it again next time. And next time, uh, we will, since it's the end of the NBA season and the finals is over now, uh, we'll talk draft, of course, NBA draft. But uh, we'll also talk some pigskin, too. we got to bring some pigskin back since NBA wanted to really give all of our attention to the finals, I mean, to the playoffs, uh, because it was so... Uh, so many games and so much going on, but we're going to talk some pigskin next week. So we're going to go back to a little bit more of a balanced show, even though we love doing the hoops ones. We want to talk about some pigskin, even though there's not a ton going on, we're going to, we'll make it work. But yeah. Any uh, closing thoughts, Pat, before we dip out? No, thanks to all the listeners as usual. Um, it's been a uh, really fun. I think we, we covered most of the NBA season on our show. So it's been really fun. Um, we will not stop talking about hoops. I'm sure as you know, the draft and free agency and everything take hold. Um, but yeah, no excited to 
you know, have a summer where, you know, we can reset and get, get ready for both the upcoming pigskin and uh, basketball seasons. And yeah, looking forward to checking in over the summer about various things. Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you to listeners. We appreciate you and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Peace out y'all. Have a good one, homie. You too, my guy.